This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. That's it, people. ComicBookClick.com is the one stop for all things Comic Book Click, our merchandise, our articles, and every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast. Visit ComicBookClick.com and remember, you, yes, you are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you could only be here for one reason and that's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comicbookclick.com and as always i am never alone sir please introduce yourself i am dan the comic book man everybody dan the comic book man is here and we are here to talk about the second favorite uh, show last week we covered the umbrella academy um a bunch of people uh heard that episode is one of our most popular of the month so far dan and i think really yeah I well think- this show took everybody by storm apparently like everybody got into season one because they heard season two is dropping and then all of a sudden my facebook and my instagram is blowing up with my entire friends list. like yo this is the greatest show ever this is the greatest show ever <laughs> it's crazy Who's your right? favorite character and why is it klaus like right i see a lot of people like um wow this first season of umbrella academy is kind of wild and i'm like what, uh, what? like yeah man <laughs> like we're, we're talking a year now um but dare i say you know umbrella academy was a property that most didn't know about until um the show debuted on netflix last year and I'm not saying no one ever read the comics. Obviously, there was Umbrella, fan, Umbrella Academy comic fans. But the show definitely extended the fandom. Um, something that I found interesting. The show that we're covering today happens to be my favorite comic book television show out right now. And it's Doom Patrol. We'll be covering the second season. We covered the first season as part of the Major Issues podcast last year. Full recap and review if you want to go and check that out before getting into this one. But um, one of the things that interests me about doom patrol season two now that it's over now that i've seen it i've seen the show twice uh the season twice um is that there isn't much coverage of it there isn't the same easter egg videos there aren't the same uh recaps and reviews i I don't know what it is i think the show is genius at times i don't even see enough reactions like usually when i look for shows that i fall in love with i find reactors that react to them see if they love the same things i love i just like seeing that I have found more people reacting to Umbrella Academy than I have Doom Patrol. In fact, I've only found one uh, YouTube channel that I frequently watch that's reacted to Doom Patrol. And like I sent you yesterday, the another channel that I watched, they can't even get it off the ground. Right. I know, um, you know, I'm a big follower of Mr. Sunday Movies um, and the Weekly Planet podcast. They haven't covered it. I think they just got it in Australia um, maybe a couple weeks ago. So what, that's what the, I'm saying. The, the, like, the season one, like yeah. the entire show just got available on, on, on a streaming service. I think you were available to probably buy it on iTunes. But a lot of people aren't going to buy this thing without knowing what it is. Exactly. Most people are like, well, I'm already paying a monthly subscription for this service. May as well try out everything that's on there. Right. We've all watched a lot of Netflix originals because it's like we're paying for Netflix. Might as well try it. Right. 
and you know we have this trifecta going on a fandom right now but there are the people who have watched doom patrol love it um and you know are are ranting and raving about it and then you have the people who are just discovering umbrella academy loving it and and they're going crazy about all the things that are happening in that universe and then the recent ending and finale of star girl i'm seeing a lot of people that normally don't watch comic book mo- mo- uh you know media contacting me and saying Oh, are you into Star Girl? Star Girl's pretty tight, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that oh, right. that one has surprised me too because I'm on, I'm just like with us in the Doom Patrol DC uh, Facebook group. I'm in all of the DC original Facebook groups. I right. joined them all: Swamp Thing, Titans, Doom Patrol, and Star Girl. And like the entire fandom of of Star Girl in that group is just claiming that this is the greatest TV show, like the greatest comic book TV show for a season. Like, there's no better first season, and I'm I'm inclined to agree with them on that. Like. Stargirl, like Stargirl, Doom Patrol, The Boys, Umbrella Academy, these is what I would personally recommend to people who've never been into comic books before. This is where I would say you should start because you have the best of all worlds, the weird and creepy, the wholesome teenage love shit, and then, and then you have The Boys. <laughs> but, but you know, yes, definitely. We'll be getting into season two when that drops. I think the thing about Doom Patrol that attracted me so much is exactly what you're saying. I'm somebody who became quite studious when it came to comic book media, I would look up things and read whole trade paperbacks and come up with, we were having a conversation earlier today and I was pulling up random uh, facts about Eclipso, right? Like just random. Mm-hmm. Hey, by the way, did you know? And, no, that's- yeah, and it gave me a lot more perspective to what that, because I had, honestly, I had no idea what that was. I thought yeah. it was the diamond from Raven's forehead. Right, right. I thought we were going to get Trigon. I thought like Trigon was like stuffed in a, he's, in he's, a diamond. He's on, he's on his way, right? But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like I have all this this information and stuff. And so seemingly with a lot of these properties, I can kind of tell where it's going. But Doom Patrol Season 1 was one of the most unpredictable shows I have ever seen in my life. 100%. Even off the rip with that first episode going into a donkey's arse. And freaking Alan Tudyk killing it as nobody. Killing it oh. as, as breaking the fourth wall and, and Still the and greatest laughing. villain ever given us. Ugh, another superhero show? Like, he knew what the fans were going to be thinking watching it. And he that, he was almost us for a lot of and that And he was so Shakespeare. Tell me he wasn't Shakespearean. He was in the, the in-between pages. When he was in between the panels, yeah. doing the narrating, wearing Doom Patrol merchandise, the way his just mannerisms was, and speaking like this, and yes. very Shakespearean and festive. Very, like, very arch. Remember? Arch like what, being an arch villain. What kind of villain is that? And he's just so... Ooh, I now am ready for the Doom Patrol. You remember? You remember when? Um, me, like... You remember when D and Dennis were being arch on Sunny? They kept yes. saying, "Oh, brother, I'm gonna plan to." He's like, "Why are you doing that?" <laughs> you become like this arch villain where your mustache twirling and ooh ah. Another thing is Eric Morton's pretty old. You gotta assume he was born in the early 1900s, and we'll get into Niles Calder's timeline because effectively, all that we saw in in season one is. Because of Niles Calder, and majority of what we're gonna see in season two uh, was because of Niles. Oh, Calder. he he is the catalyst for everything wrong on that show. Yeah, and it's he's cr- the it's, villain. It's he crazy. Is the villain. It's crazy because I was able to kind of use the events that we've gotten between seasons one and two to kind of build this makeshift timeline for Niles. And when you follow it, you realize just how much, um, just how much of his actions have the consequences that occur. And, you know, give us the results that we see now. Um, for those who are uninitiated, 
initiated, <laughs> Doom Patrol is a superhero team from DC Comics, and the original Doom Patrol appeared in My Greatest Adventure number 80 in June of 1963 and was created Jesus by... Jesus Christ. Long time ago. And was created by writers Arnold Drake and Bob Hanley and artist Bruno Primiani. The Doom Patrol has appeared in different incarnations in multiple comics and have been adapted to other media. I even saw that episode of Teen Titans Go where they appeared. They were also in the original Teen Titans where it was that was Beast Boy's origin story. I don't yep. know if you've ever seen it, but they really went straight. This is what I loved about old school cartoon comics from Cartoon Network. They really did their homework. And there was an episode where the Doom Patrol came and it was Rita, Mr. Nobody, and Robot Man. Yeah, sometimes and you'll get they Mento. had this relationship with, with Beast Boy that because he grew up with them. Oh, um, who? Memento, Me- yes. Mento, Mento, Mento. With the, Mento. Little, with the, with the antennas. Mm-hmm. He's always there with his little antenna helmet. Um, his mind control. Oh yeah, the, oh my god, one of the the, the Doom Patrol patrol episode. hundred percent. Yeah, one of the greatest episodes of that series. And those other women in that episode are actual Doom Patrollers. They're they they exist in other continuities. You know, other continuities, other, other runs. I, I should say. Yeah. Um. One of the things I found interesting was though was that although they're not one of the most popular superhero teams, like most people don't know who they are. Those who do. You know, are they have this cult following, and so the comic has never been out of print for more than a few years since their introduction. Um, one of I the- read that that's that's what what struck me as crazy when I was doing I was doing some wiki wiki reading for season two. Yeah, and all of this I, I read that like they've never been out of um uh, run for more than a few years. That Gerard Way even wrote a couple of did a run for them like. It's, Doom Patrol is pretty out there without being out there. And it's kind of a, a, a crime. It's like the Toxic Avengers of comic book movies. Yo, wow, that was, <laughs> the, that was the greatest deep cut you ever made. You know? Uh, so Doom Patrol are a group of superpower misfits whose gifts caused them alienation and trauma. On the very first issue of the comic, they were dubbed the world's uh, strangest superheroes, which kind of creates a bit of contention because I want to say mm-hmm. the very first e- issue of X-Men comics, they're referred to as the world's weirdest or something like that. Yeah, they're referred to as the world's weirdest heroes or something. Let me see if I can find an original X-Men uh, comic. It was, com- it was. Oh, I, yep, I got it right here. And it says the strangest superheroes of all. <laughs> Oh, the strangest superheroes of all. So they're both the strangest superheroes. <laughs> this is the world's strangest heroes and the strangest superheroes of all. Um, like I said, again, Doom Patrol created June 1963. Uh, the X-Men issue one, I want to say, also came out in 1963. So there's a lot of um, similarities people see between Yo, Chief and... and this um... is why Doom Patrol <laughs> is one of the greatest properties ever because right now the creators are on a Twitter war with new Umbrella Academy that you see. You see yeah. that they're, they're always going out, and they're even going after the boys. And even it, since their inception, they were going after it, stuff like um, the X-Men, coming out at roughly the same time, the way both shows, season ones, dropped roughly the same time. Yeah. Um, so what, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, X-Men drops in September of 1963. Uh, Doom Patrol drops in June of 1963. Um, and what, like what you were saying, not only... Do I respect Doom Patrol for being, you know, just irreverent and courageous at many times? But again, it has to navigate a field already paved by X-Men. How do you how do you do similar tropes without seeming like you're just doing the same stuff? And that's where I I love the both seasons of Doom Patrol because it easily could have turned into an X-Men 
parody almost. Oh, well, you know? yeah, no, 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 one hundred percent. They could have, they could have done anything. They could have done time, like weird time traveling, like these future past stuff. They could have done Avengers stuff, but even them saving the town was a reluctant. Every time they were doing something, it was reluctancy. Yes, and I think that's what... Until it was time... No, 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 you're right. I was just going to say that I think that that's the biggest thing about this team is that they're reluctant. When you meet Doom Patrol in, let's say, um, Teen Titans or uh, Justice League Unlimited or whatever, they're all kind of down. They're all kind of wearing uniforms. They're all kind of... Usually it's Rita, um, Robot Man, Mento, and they're like... They're they're a, a unit, a force, like very much like the X Men. I think that the better way to handle the series is how Grant Morrison handled it, where these are just like beings of eternal trauma, just just beings that really don't know who they are and where where their place is in the world, but find themselves with the responsibility of saving the world sometimes randomly, and don't shy away from that responsibility, even though they don't know what their their destiny is. And that's and kind nobody of a hero, could have handled it? this better. <laughs> nobody could have handled this better than Jeremy Carver. Yeah, yeah, that's the Jeremy, show. Yeah, yo, he is a he is a god for, he's for the way it. he handled this show. Yeah, he's kind of sort of killing it. I'm surprised we don't hear his name batted around more. I remember when uh, Daredevil season one dropped. All I heard was Drew Goddard this, Drew Goddard that. But again, the show yeah. itself, um, again, is not getting much to talk. But that's what the Major Issues Podcast is for. Talking about Always the latest for. and the greatest, not just the thing that you hear the most or the things that you're hearing about the most. You can even go back and listen to our, uh, us cover, well, not me personally, but you can listen to Major Issues cover Daredevil Season 1 if you want. You can yep. listen to us cover Doom Patrol I Season I think we have every it. season of the Netflix shows. The only thing we don't have is um, uh, Defenders, and I'm saving that. Oh. <laughs> uh. I'm saving that. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm saving that for which is worse. I don't know if I'm just saving that just to like look back at what they tried to do. In, oh, are we gonna are we gonna set set a precedent and do a which is worse TV, TV? show? I don't oh, know. Man. I don't know. I don't know. They, they were, anything could happen. Who knew we'd be in this position months down the line, right? So who knows what the hell is gonna happen in the future? Um, the original team of Doom Patrol was the Chief. Now it's colder. Robot Man, Cliff Steele, Elastigirl, Rita Farr. And Negative Man, Larry Trainer. Eventually, characters like Beast Boy and Mento uh, would join them. And like you said, Jeremy Carver is currently serving as showrunner and executive producer for the show. Um, Doom Patrol aired its first season in 2019. And um, I, like I said, we f- saw that first episode. We fell in love. It reintroduced us to Brendan Fraser, which oh, oh, is absolutely that's a, that's amazing. A, yeah. Um, and I, I've said this countless times. I probably said it in the first um the first uh, season recap, but there's something incredibly honest about the pain in Robot Man's voice <laughs> that I have to how? believe it comes how from it, Brendan it, Fraser. Yeah, but how how did, does he manage to have so much acting talent that with just the tone of his voice, you can literally imagine what his facial expressions would be? Yeah. Because Cl- Cl- Cliff has no facial expressions, literally none. But just the way his voice breaks and he bows his head, you know that he has a sad face. The way he throws his hands in the air and shouts in a, in a higher octave, you know he's happy. Like, you could just... The, each fuck is its own personality. <laughs> I, no, I'm, right. I'm going to say that. Right. Each fuck is its own facial expression. It's its own personality. I feel like um, 
the character, like the, the the moment that I think of when I think of the voice and the character, is when he chews out Niles for not letting him feel anything. Oh, the great one of the greatest monologues I've ever. That was the monologue that sold me. You know, and I'm like, damn, like I really, I feel like Brendan Fraser's inside there, <laughs> and that you know we'll get into that too. This this what I'd like to call almost puppetry ventriloquism almost right between the characters and the actors who play robot man and uh larry trainer um negative man oh larry Trainer, uh, another another one that's perfect with but, their facial and this one that you can't even see a face right but he still has to like sigh and put his head down or put his head up his body language both the, both um it's the actors, shoulders it's the yeah. slouching it's the uh, yeah or the way he just uh, matt bomber just speaks in a low tone yeah, both actor, both actors who are in the suits are killing it, and they have an uh, incredibly cool symbiotic relationship with the actors who are saying the lines. I, there's never a point where I believe them to be two different people, um, and that's what it's all about, right? So, absolutely killing it. Let me do a brief recap of season one to catch you guys up before we go into our full spoiler uh, of season two. So, in the first season. The chief, our chief, Niles Colder, is captured by the malevolent Mr. Nobody, sending the Doom Patrol on a journey to rescue him. Along the way, they discover secrets about themselves and the chief, who they eventually learn is responsible for the tragic events uh, that gave them powers. And so, um, I know that in season two, earlier in season two, we did a whole storyline about, um, or in season one, was it? No, no, in season, yeah, and at the end of season one, everyone was trapped inside of a painting because Mr. Nobody uh, ends up finding out about Niles Calder's daughter. So let me show you how Niles Calder basically screws everybody over in the entire world and gives us this world uh, that we see fit here. Uh, are you ready, Dan? Yes, I'm ready. All right, this is the, this is, you know, using both seasons, I created a bit of a timeline for now. So let's see if we can follow it to the present day. There might be some things missing, but for the most part, this is what I can find. So starting all the way in 1888, 1888, you know, damn near 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, he meets Red Jack on the streets of England. Wait, hold on, wait. Uh, it, 1888. Yeah. The show came out in 2019. Wouldn't right. that be... Wouldn't that be 201 years? No, that'd be 100, because 100 years would be 1988, and then I'm 30. So it'd be about oh, 130 years. Oh, you said 88. I'm hearing, I'm hearing 18. I'm hearing, my bad. Yeah, 18. I, no, because I, I said 1888, and I think it flipped in your mind. And yeah. It's not like 1818. <laughs> yeah, it, right. I, the, I, it completely went 18. I was about to say, yeah, shouldn't that man be like 200? All right, so he's yeah. about 151-ish. Like. Yeah, I think in the show they end up saying 134. 134. 134. Yeah. So we'll stick with what they said. 134. 134. Whatever math that they're doing there. Um, so he meets Red Jack. They do that little thing where Red Jack's like, oh, you have some evil in you, yada, yada, yada. And then he just disappears. In uh, the 1910s, just before the Cold War, Niles Calder was a founder and lead researcher of the Bureau of Oddities, a government organization dedicated to researching the supernatural. During oh, hold on. Bro, before you continue, I think it's important to note that that is an important piece of dialogue with Red Jack, who's seemingly like what they've given us so far up to that episode, the most evilest being. Yes. Because we haven't met the candle maker yet. Right. So up until episode four, pain patrol or whatever, what we get is the most evilest being 
in this show's existence saying in awe, stating to right? the audience, in awe. Yeah, in <laughs> awe that Niles Calder at a, that you would imagine be anywhere from eight to twelve, right? Have evil in him. That's important. The character, basically Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, yeah, just bow to this child because he believes him to have almost be his surrogate. You know, no, the and then later in that episode, line. he wanted him to be his success. He kidnaps him to be his successor. Totally, and it's like for those, you're either my successor or you're dead. For those who don't know, the uh, actor who played Young Niles is the same actor actress who plays uh, Dorothy Spinner, which is Get Abigail the Shapiro. Freak out of here. Get the freak out of here. Yeah, so Young Young Niles, young is a, Niles played was played young by girl. his own character daughter. Yes. That's, that's, you can't fight that fucking passion. That's <laughs> yeah. detail. That's, and I'm, I'm pretty I'm sure, sure, I'm also pretty sure Abigail was like delighted to be on set without all those prosthetics. Even though the prosthetics, they do an amazing job with them. They don't look, you know, terrible. But... Oh, um, no. It, they, you know. If anything, it made it look more endearing than the pictures that you sent me from the comic books. Yeah. Because in the comic books, she straight up looks like a monster. She's yeah. like Killer Croc's face in <laughs> right. Dorothy Hamill's body. Right. Like, it's crazy. So, like, the way they made her look in the show, it's like she has, like, an ape face. It almost almost reminds me of the little boy from the first Jumanji movie. Yeah. And so the world is just getting weird. And so him and his colleague end up trying to go on an investigation to the northern Yukon in 1913 just to find, you know, look for the supernatural or whatever. They heard some some hanky-panky going down over there. Uh, him and his colleague get attacked by wolves and are separated in the wilderness. Niles befriends and ultimately falls in love with a prim- primitive woman named Slava. Slava Wait, he people. fell in love with this woman in in the nineteen thirty, like nineteen tens, nineteen thirteen. I mean the nineteen, like the nineteen thirteens, nineteen thirteen. Man, I gotta clean my ears today. Now I got you. Trust me, this timeline is going to all pan out. So, so now, he ends up being in the wilderness. Yeah, I wanted to understand this part. Like this is from season one. I need, I needed to understand this. So, right. he was on a on a mission with the Bureau of Odyssey, Oddity. Uh, and, yes. Yeah. And then he ends up being captured or not captured he ends up being like uh well what's the word stranded in the wilderness yep in the 1910s and he falls in love with a cave woman yep named slava who a lot of people uh wrongly attribute her name to being like a koi like a, a yoke or something like that she says a word and he repeats it and people think that that's her name but that's her not, not her name her name is La- her name is slava so uh beautiful name but yeah he, he falls in love with this primitive woman named slava and he finds out that Slava was imbued with immortality and powerful psychic abilities, which allow her to create avatars, such as the animal that we'll learn to be, uh, will come to be known as Manny. Um, that big bear, man bear pig thing that, that, uh, that they, uh, she creates. So Niles ends up living in the wilderness for years with Slava, chilling, eating, you know, uh, fishing, ice fishing, until his colleague returns finds him and threatens to send the bureau after Slava and the beast because he's like, you've been out here kind of chilling. Like our whole job was to wrangle up these weirdos and you're just, you're falling in love. So I'm going to call the whole bureau and we're going to get rid of both of these things. So Niles tricks the man into walking onto thin ice in which the man falls through and is ultimately killed. Now Niles knows that the bureau is going to need answers. They're going to need him, right? They're going to... There's going to be a lot of confusion. So to protect his love, he destroys his journal that has all the written events of what happened. He rejoins the Bureau under the story that he had been surviving on his own until he was found. 
and he had nothing to report. Nothing happened. I just got lost. We got separated. I've been living in the woods by myself. Everything's good. So from that point on, Niall's mission was to protect Slava and other oddities like her from the true monsters in the world, such as the Bureau of Normalcy. And Niles will end up using the Bureau's resources to find a way to live forever. Which just parallels, uh, what's it called, the X-Men. Yes. It would just be, the, the, the Bureau of Normacy would just be the same thing with um, Peter Dinklage's character, uh, uh, Boulevard Tr- Trask and uh, Senator Kelly. Yes. So the, the Bureau... The difference is, is this man in a, in a wheelchair. Sorry. I, no, you're It's good. just weird because it's a lot of... I'm seeing all these connections and parallels to different comic book properties. Like, it's... It's the same thing with uh, Charles wanting to protect mutants and teach them to hone in and train their powers. But this time it's a normal, it's a, it's a basically an um, immortal because he has a, he, he probably has a talisman at this point. No, he does not. We'll, uh, we'll get there in a second. But here's the thing, right? right? So let's get there, yeah. Here's, here's the thing. When Niles started, when Niles founded the Bureau, it was the Bureau of Oddities. And the idea was to research the supernatural. Research, protect, you know, just observe the supernatural like an explorer. When he got trapped, the Bureau changed under him, with him without him being there, to the Bureau of Normalcy. And the Bureau of Normalcy's job was to snuff out oddities. So, he continues to work for the Bureau of Normalcy, this evil now organization that is finding these people and trapping them. Remember the ant farm? They had that whole, that whole underground prison, basically, where they find yeah. Flex Mentalo. That's all the Bureau of Normalcy. Niles worked alongside these people, but for his own ends, to use the resources to find the Doom Patrol, basically. (laughs) Um, But right now, we're just at the point where he's come back. He's said, you know what? I'll I'll be the head of this bureau or whatever. Uh, Sorry, my friend died. Yada, yada. Everything's Gucci. Um, In 1927, he's given a tip about a trap. And that's when he figures it out. Exactly. The beast recognizes Niles. He stops taking orders from the ringmaster and is beaten for his insubordination. And the scene is too much for the little girl to bear. So she uses her imagination to make a wish. A command given to her by one of her imaginary right, friends. And now, how many wishes does she have? Like, these are limited wishes. These aren't unlimited. These aren't. No, I believe in the comics it was three. And I believe it's the same on the show. Three. Yes. Okay. And so we've only ever seen her make two wishes. One now and one with baby doll. Yes. Yes. Because you didn't even need to make a wish by the end. Right. Um, so. Okay. Um, she uses her imagination to make a wish and all the attendees are massacred. But my, but Niles now shows her a drawing of Slava and she asks Niles, how does you how you know my mom? Confirming that this is probably the, their child. <laughs> Uh, Niles raises the child as Dorothy after, uh, you know, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, but quickly realizes that just like her mom, Dorothy doesn't age. Fearing what a child's mind can conjure up and knowing the ancient power that his daughter possesses, Niles entrusts Danny, who's just an alleyway at the time, to keep Dorothy safe. This is in 1929. So all the way in 1929, Niles drops off Dorothy. 
Niles doesn't come back to pick up Dorothy until the last episode of season two, uh, one in 2019. So for 90 years, Niles kept Dorothy on Danny the alleyway, which eventually became Danny the street. But that's what that's where he's been. So now, and that was that big reveal in in the season one finale. Exactly, and and so now that Danny that she he drops off Danny, uh, oh, sorry, he drops off Dorothy on Danny the alleyway in 1929, right? And now yeah. from this moment on, knowing that she doesn't age, because two years after he got her, she didn't age a bit, a day. So he's already like, oh, this is not going to work well. I'm going to eventually die, and she will live forever, and she will destroy the world. So I'm going to spend my entire life looking for a way to live one day longer than she can. So, <laughs> I mean, oh, right. Oh, <laughs> so, to, oh, Niles. I'm telling you. So 20 years later, twenty almost 20 years later from when he dropped off Dorothy, Niles tracks down Eric Morden in Paraguay. Eric is in possession of a talisman. That grants the user immortality, and he's planning to trade the item to the Nazi scientist von Fuchs in exchange for metahuman abilities. Calder shows up just in time, sabotages kind the experiment. Of a weird motivation for us. So I just need to. Who, for, I never really uh, mentioned it because I was not in the. No, um, Morden. Because I was I wasn't on the season one finale, and I never I, uh, episode, so I never really got mentioned. But he already had immortality. Yeah. Now you want immortality. Plus superhuman abilities. It's like, now, now you just ask well, me for a lot. Well, you know what's I'd funny? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. And I don't even think Von Fuchs is 100% sure what that would have, what the result of that experiment would have been. Also, he's trading more t- immortality for a gamble. A, a roll of the dice meta power. In my it's opinion, like, it's like that episode. In, it's like that episode in Family Guy where it was either you get a boat or you get a mystery box. And right, right. Says, yeah. A boat is a boat, but a mystery box could be anything. It, it could, could be, a boat. be a boat. <laughs> yeah, it could be a boat. Yeah. yeah. So he picks the box. So it's like you know, right. Morden was picking the box. And while while the inspiration may seem a bit uninspired, I need I remind you, Dan, what is the purpose of living forever if you're going to live forever as a nobody? <laughs> right. That's great. You were just you were on a roll. Exactly. So. While he goes, that this is after he gets kicked out of the Brotherhood of Evil. This is after his girlfriend tells him that he's a nobody. Brotherhood of Evil? Come on now. Yeah. yeah. Come on now. You can't yeah. tell me. It's for real. It's Come Brotherhood of Evil now. and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's 100%. The world's strangest heroes and the world's strangest heroes of all. Yeah. Yep. Like, <laughs> so Morden, the entire, the entire revenge plan of Morden's is because Niles Calder destroyed this machine. Killed Von Fuchs and uh, took the talisman. So all so then when you move a little bit forward, Niles creates the Doom Patrol, the first Doom Patrol, the ones that get mentally destroyed by Morden. All of that is because of this Dorothy thing. Yeah, all of that. Everything is because of the the justified means of I need to live longer than my daughter. A hundred percent. So after uh, he gets that thing from. After he gets the uh, talisman, he would collect people over the years and experiment on them, knowing that the talisman would only allow him to live longer but not be immortal. That's what it was. Uh, He used his connections with the Bureau of Normalcy in order to found the Immortus Initiative. Using the Immortus Initiative, he creates incidents that create the, the, the Doom Patrol as we know it. In 1955... While filming Forbidden Congo in the Amazon, actress Rita Forrest falls into the river and becomes exposed to an unknown toxic gas that causes her cells to become unstable. 
1966, while testing a new experimental jet, top pilot Larry Trainer comes into contact with the negative spirit and being made of unknown radioactive energy, uh, Larry became possessed by the spirit, resulting in the jet crashing and Larry being put in quarantine. Also, in the 70s is when he saves uh, K. Chalice, a.k.a. Crazy Jane, from the insane asylum when they were going to you know, do some other experiments on her. And in 1988, Cliff Steele and his family are killed in a horrific car crash. But Niles saves Cliff's brain and creates Robot Man. In 2019, Mr. Nobody comes all the way back from, from all that long-ass uh, grudge, uh, captures the chief upon learning that Danny is harboring Dorothy. And so he traps them all in a painting. With the help of the negative spirit and Dorothy's powers, they are able to survive inside of a roach. And season two starts with them all being small and not knowing how to change that. Well, I think you should also mention that because it's a, it was mentioned in season two. It's a big drop in season two. Niles Calder is also partly responsible for Cyborg's technology. Yes, yes. Because it right. was Star Labs and Calder Tech. Calder Robotics. Or, yeah, Calder Robotics. Calder Robotics. Yeah. yeah, so... Even Cyborg, he had a handle on saving Cyborg's life the way he saved Cliff's life. So he made two android robot men in a sense. Yeah, so your whole, your whole perspective ends up changing on Niles because initially it looks like Niles is the person who not only saved some of these people's lives but decided to give them a home. But ultimately all he was doing was adopting his failed experiments. Each one of them, had it become a little bit more pleasant, could have been a viable route for Niles to go. Um, if you wanted to be immortal, this is also shown and I'll get there in a bit because um, when they're small in the season two and they don't know how to change that um, and Danny's just a brick now trades his immortality talisman to Willoughby Kipling, the wonderful Mark Shepard. Welcome back. Great job. Oh, our surrogate John Constantine. Love him. Sense. And, and if you look him up, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly why Willoughby Kipling is in this comic. Uh, he is a, jo- a John Constantine ripoff in the oh, best wait, they, ways. They, they really like yes. created this character in the comics because they couldn't get Grant the rights Morrison to Morrison did not have the rights to, uh, to John Constantine, no. That is funny. And so you just create who you want. This is how the entirety of the Watchmen was formed. They couldn't take the Charlton comic character, so they're like, we'll just make similar ones. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's and that's where you get the question Batman, Superman, yeah. That's it. Um Danny is oh, sorry. They yeah, he trades the talisman to Willoughby Kipling for the magic needed to become full sized. And now that they're that that's gone, the countdown begins until Niles dies. Uh, they try to bring Danny to life back with a party, but instead of becoming a street, Danny becomes a tire and tells Niles that he refuses to keep Dorothy as a prisoner for much longer. And that's basically Niles' timeline uh, it, when we get to like the middle of the show. He has no talisman. He has no place to keep Dorothy. Because even without the talisman, he believes that Danny could keep her safe. But now Danny's like, nah, 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 I'm not going to be nobody's prison anymore. Um, where did... Did you find yourself sympathizing for Niles? There were people like Jane who seemed to, no matter how angry she got at him, always kind of find a, a soft spot for the man um, and and help him. But then there's guys like Cliff who once realizing that, what, my death seemingly and the death of my uh, wife and the, and the you know, orphaning, orphaning of my daughter is because of him, because of his well, daughter. It's funny because... Every time Cliff, it, it's the word reluctant. The word reluctant is very known for the Doom Patrol because every time Cliff is like, I hate Niles, I hate Niles, I hate Niles, 
he finds himself helping Niles. And yes, you can and justify, Cliff can justify that he's really helping Dorothy. But he would have to care about Niles in a sense to even care about Dorothy. Yeah. So yeah. He, he, even, he even put a stop to his own, going to his own daughter's wedding for the chief, for Dorothy. So like, they all have this soft spot because I, I feel like it's, it, it's what Larry was talking about. It's family. Before all this, the world never gave a damn about us, you know? So we only had each other. But do That's you, but do you have that soft spot? Where do you chief? sit on the chief? Yeah, where do you sit I, on the chief? I feel that the chief is... I understand what he's going about with things, but he's also going about things in the very wrong way. Realistically, no parent's goal should, should be to outlive their child. No parent should want to bury their child. Right. But I also understand that how this world is... You know, Dorothy could simply make a wish and destroy it all. Right. But if he would have just stopped for a moment and thought, hey, maybe I could get I could get people to help me raise Dorothy the right way. Like he used Danny as a, as a prison instead of using Danny as like a daycare, as a school. Danny could have been a school for life. He could have showed Dorothy the harsh realities as well as showing what people are truly capable of. In a sense... Morally corrupt would have been the perfect babysitter for Dorothy. I'm getting major Dark Phoenix vibes. I'm getting major, like, had Xavier not hidden that part and just trained her little by little. And exactly, and that's what it's to her wrong. what it was. Um, she might have been in a better position. And that's how I feel with... Uh, because people take these, like, you know, steadfast, matter-of-fact approaches to these, you know, situations that aren't like that. Occam's razor. Sometimes the simplest answer is the answer. Yeah. The simplest answer would have been, let me talk to Danny, and we could have just, both of us, raised Dorothy the right way. We could have, we could have been one man in the street. Like three men and a baby, we could have been one man in the street. And you see what kind of an awkward position um, Danny's in, right? Oh, he straight up said, I'm not going to be her, her her prison. And he didn't, when, when push came to shove, he didn't um, lie to her. She asked him. She said, know? are you my friend? Yes. Then would you lie to me? No. So am I your prisoner? Yes. You know, and she said something like, um, were you ever my friend? Something like that. And he said, oh, Dorothy, I wish it could just be that. Like, I wish it was only that. that- I wish that, yeah, I wish that we were just friends. Yes, like, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, I was, you know. I'm your I, warden. 100%. And so, um, for 90 years, man, he's done the most unthinkable things all to to live, in his mind, the greater good, to, to save the world, you know, and to outlive his daughter. But, but look at all of the pain and tragedy that he's caused. He, he caused the Mr. Nobody. He caused Robot Man. He caused the Rita Doom Patrol. He's he caused, caused them we'll all. get there, but he caused the pioneers of the Uncharted. Jesus. Because he sent them to get the same thing that Larry got. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh man. Oh, he was willing to, to sacrifice so many people. So many people for a chance at living long enough to protect the world from Dorothy and to protect Dorothy. Um, and so many people paid the ultimate price. Let's talk a little bit about Dorothy. Uh, Abigail Shapiro plays Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy was being held under Danny's protection, and it allowed for her a wild imagination to create friends from her. For her, with the powers passed down from her mother, she can make these creations like Herschel, the big spider, and Dolly come lately, the chick with the light bulbs for eyes. 
Um, and she can make these characters exist on the human plane, which is amazing, but extremely dangerous, especially when it comes to one imaginary friend, the candle maker, voiced incredibly by Lex Lang. Um, in the can in the candle maker in the comics, candle maker is the living embodiment of the fears humans have about nuclear war. He's an interdimensional being who can destroy the world, but he's tethered uh, to be having to being used by Dorothy's imagination to give him form in the first place. So without Dorothy, he has no tether to this real world. Every time she makes a wish, he gets closer and closer uh, to our plane of existence, Armageddon, and it gives him this enormous amount of power. So he's literally the, a living embodiment of fear that she, with her powers, is bringing to our plane of existence. In a sense, it's a fucked up genie. Yes, and that voice... It's a really fucked up genie. That voice and the progression of that character is absolutely terrifying. Dorothy! Like, but like the, in the beginning, it's, it's these like broken, primitive sentences. Make wish... Girl, safe. Yeah, but think of how how many years she's gone. Ninety years, and this being is in her head. Ninety years of meeting new people because of Danny the Street. Yeah, it's gonna probably start developing. And also, they were making it a point that in the show, Dorothy was getting older, and he was getting more powerful. And she says several yeah. times to him, "Since you don't even sound like yourself, since when did you learn so many words? Since when did you learn so many phrases? What like oh, what the hell? Like who almost who are you?" You know, and yeah, uh, Maker is absolutely no joke. Um, Dorothy does her best to keep Candlemaker at bay, but after playing with baby doll at Niles' request, because again, Niles, he's just like, you know what? You two are my daughters. You guys can hang out. Uh, she's put in a position where she needs help. Basically, baby doll damn near kills her. And uh, Candlemaker murders baby doll and flaming Katie. From inside of Jane's mind, which I don't even understand what the hell that means, but yeah, um, Candlemaker also plays, places Jane in a coma and covers her with wax, which freaks Dorothy out so much that she tries to leave to space. Um, one of the things that I think Abigail Shapiro does greatly is she has a good scared face. She has she's good at seeming absolutely terrified of what. The power that she has. There's several points in which. Um, I think it's like the second episode or so. After Cliff yells at her. Oh her terrified face is phenomenal. Yeah. after Absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> like she. Like you could see in her eyes that like. Her eyes are squinting. She's about to tear. Her mouth and lip is like quivering. And she's like in a corner with her hands on her ears. Like she has a. No 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 no. Like you know like she's stuttering like a little child. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And like there's a moment where. Um, she is having these, these fears and Candlemaker seems to be coming, uh, for Cliff. Um, and the only way Niles can get her to stop is to say, I'll, I'll imprison you again. I'll put, I'll, I'll put you back <laughs> where you were. And she stops. That's the only fear this girl has stronger than this, than the powers that she has within herself is this idea that she will do something to be forced to be put, you know, in captivity again and a lot of this season is dorothy trying to wrestle around with the fact that she is a hundred years old 103 quarters i think she says um she's like 113 yeah so it's like yeah <laughs> you know she's she's a really really older person niles continues to treat her as a child out of fear of what she can do but 
Dorothy is growing. She is becoming a young woman, and that's that's a sign in the prophecy that things are not going to go well. Um, Niles is able to retrieve her from space, but comes to the conclusion that there's no way he can live long enough to protect Dorothy. Now, get it? They didn't say it outright, but am I am I getting this right? Instead, he chooses to enlist Kipling's help to kill Dorothy. Yes. Yep. Okay. Because yep, yep, am, yep. am I right? It's never out, outwardly. No, said. that's it. No, that, that, that's literally what it was. They made a deal. If we can't fix this, we got to kill her. Right. And so um, he he agrees to uh, to kill her, but not before giving her the best day he can. Um, this is when I think we should talk a little bit about Timothy Dalton. He is amazing on this show. Mm-hmm. And Yo. the love, the weird love he has for this fam, for the family, and especially for Dorothy, he ties all, it all together. If it was a, any less of a, lesser of an actor, I wouldn't believe the love, the dedication, the sacrifice. Don't you know how much I had to sacrifice? Um, yeah, basically, I, I wouldn't believe any of it if it wasn't for Timothy Dalton elevating all the material he's given former james bond himself killing it for the oh, greater good and he, yeah of course this is this breaking of his voice the the authoritative nature is like cliff i just had to do you know damn you know, it <laughs> you understand that what he's doing is a good cause but he is literally going about it the wrong way he has that moment in the ship with cliff where he's not even talking to cliff he's scolding dorothy but dorothy's not even there He's like, doesn't she know that she can't do things like that? Doesn't she know that I can't protect her if she does? And I'm like, oh, he's just going through it. My man just, he's just, he just, yeah. I like the flashbacks with the dark, with a little bit of a dark, darker beard and stuff. Like you could believe it. And when he quote unquote gets older, which I'm pretty sure is just him showing his natural age. You feel it. He has the moments in the carnival where he, he, he can't even muster up the energy to go with her on rides. That was heartbreaking. You know? I'm like, damn. You know, he's like, oh, no, you, you, you go along. And then at one point, Willoughby calls him. He's like, damn it, not now. <laughs> and he goes, what the hell is the difference between now and later? He goes, I get to say goodbye to my daughter. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> where it's stated that he's killing her. Yeah. Like, I get to say goodbye. That's the difference. Um, Which is really sad. That yeah. was so heartbreaking. And you believe it. And then, oh, man. Oh, and speaking of heartbreaking and, and, like, poetic and all this other kind of stuff, we also have to remember, um, he gave Willoughby Kipling the, uh, you know, the talisman, right? Yes. And Willoughby's, known, the talisman. Willoughby's known about Dorothy, I would almost assume, almost probably since the beginning. Uh, so, Kipling knew that Niles created the Doom Patrol. Kipling knew about the OG Doom Patrol. Kipling knew about Mr. Nobody. Remember, he mentions him. Basically, Kipling was, yeah, Kipling's there. Been, been, so, Kipling's Kipling been is Niles' oldest friendship. He's been waiting for this day. He knew this day would come. He had told Niles a million times that this was a horrible idea. And he was just waiting for it to come. And now it's here. And Niles is And saying, you can imagine that Kipling at every turn was, was like Niles' like, you know, the gun in the back pocket. It was the 30, the 38 snub nose just waiting there. Right. Like, And every time, Kipling's just like, bro, you know you could just end this all by killing this girl, right? My like, daughter. You don't have to create, you don't have to create Rita. Listen, she's my, yeah, she's my daughter. You don't have to create Jane. She's my daughter. You don't have to create Clip. She's my daughter. Like, you know, like, yeah. he's probably just been there the whole time in his fucking Cockney accent. Just telling him, bro, just kill her. It's the simplest means. And another thing is, he when he takes the talisman from him in the first episode, he tells him, 
Like, you know how ridiculous this is, right? Because what he's basically telling him is, you know, every, basically what you're doing right now, everything that you've done, all the accidents, all that stuff, for nothing. Yeah, it's all for not. It's all for nothing. All of season one, all of the creation nothing. of the Doom Patrol, nothing. Because now you can't live longer because of the things that you've done. You've got put in this position where you have to give up the things that you had. And now look at you. And there's a brilliant moment where Niles, um, he identifies that, you know, how old he is and stuff. And Flip, Flip, uh, uh, Cliff has this amazing monologue where he's like, Oh, so you, you, you're gonna die. Well, guess what? Now you have a bunch of choices to choose from. Who are you gonna be, huh? Are, they, are you gonna take your brain and put it in a robot? Are you gonna become a thing of, of, of a blob? Are you gonna become this irradiated, you know, guy who has to wear bandages all the time? Or are you gonna, uh, roll the fucking dice and find out which one of your personalities has superpowers? He's like, this is, these are all the choices that you have. These are the only choices that you have. This is what you figured out. These are your, these are, and then that's when Larry comes in and goes, oh, he's not doing any of it because we're the failed experiments. We're the ones he doesn't want. We're the, we're the outcomes he doesn't want or else he would have stopped at one of us, right? Yeah. He would have just been like, I'll just be, I'll just be a blob just like Rita. But no, they're all failed experiments. Um, in that household, which completely changes how you view Niles and, um, that's why I guess I was curious about where your sympathy lies for him because he does seemingly have a a reason whether or not you believe it's a suitable one for the horrors. I mean, you know, I think that's up. Yeah, up you could it, listen. Not everything is black and white. He's not evil, but he's not good. Someone, but it's not so black and white. Someone said so in in something I, that I can't remember at the moment that morals become more malleable when immortality is involved. Because you don't necessarily have, like, you wait long enough and you will outweigh your consequences. Does that make sense? Well, it makes a lot of sense. Like, you would just live to a point, you, you can do basically whatever you want. And I, maybe Niles was at that point. Like, it doesn't really matter what I do because the people who I do this to won't even live long enough to, for me to see the eventual end that I want to. Which will probably be like, who knows how long uh, Dorothy lives? Who knows how long Niles lives? But again, that's not a pitch-perfect plan. It wasn't, and that's why things, you know, fell apart. Unbeknownst to Niles, Dorothy starts to grow up, and after a hundred years, has her first period, a sign that Niles has run out of time. Kipling advises Niles to get uh, rid of Dorothy as quick as possible, but Chief opts to say goodbye to his daughter, like we talked about. This wasted time, in my opinion, allows for Candlemaker to gain more power and disable all of the Doom Patrol. We'll talk about how they did separately uh, when we get to each member. With Dorothy and Niles as the last two remaining, Slava appears and tells Dorothy that it's time before giving her a pair of red moccasins. Dorothy puts them on, conjures a weapon, and suddenly Candlemaker appears. Dorothy runs at the beast who grabs her, and they both disappear as Niles yells for his daughter. And that's how basically the season ended. I just wanted to take the biggest, that's the biggest thread, and flesh that out. Um, And yeah... Like it was, it was heartbreaking. I'm watching this final episode and I'm, I'm just, I'm, um, what the heck is that word? I am fearing it's ending. I'm dreading the ending of the episode. Cause once the episode ends, I don't know when's the next time I'm going to get this much doom patrol again. And it was already, yeah, a- I'm looking at this as like a mid season finale in a sense. It was already well known that the season was not finished because of COVID, unfortunately. 
So um, we, everybody, I think, who was a fan of the show was very curious as to how um, how they do it, how they'd end things off. And, yeah, this kind of feels like a penultimate patrol, <laughs> like the episode before the episode. But um, hopefully they are able to finish things off. But anything else you want to say about Niles and Dorothy? I guess in a sense we got to be a little bit more empathetic to his cause. But he really did everything for not. Yeah. It basically was all for not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she grows up and everything. Like <laughs> everything he didn't want to happen happened. Uh, but let's talk about a man who's 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 doing a little bit better this time around. Let's talk about Cliff Steele. Let's talk about Robot Man. Yes, Brendan, Brendan Fraser, fucking Fraser, and 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 Riley Shanahan. That is the man underneath the metal. That's the man you see. That's the man. Oh, that is that's the man that does all the the shoulder motions and. Everything. And he's the one in the set photos. He's the one filming with everybody. You know, Riley probably that's has more awesome. FaceTime than 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 Brendan when it comes to being with. You know, um, Diane and and, and uh, April, etc. Yeah, because really, Brendan is just in the booth. Yeah, uh, saying words. Yep. And not to del- belittle either one of their their uh, roles, because I think together that's what we get the masterpiece that is Robot Man. Um. So starting off the season, Cliff hates Niles for what he did to all of them, but instead of like just yelling at Niles all the time, he's like, "I'm going to use my energy to reconnect with my daughter, Clara." If you remember from season one. Clara, oh, yeah, we got that he went to Florida. Yeah, Clara's not only alive, but doesn't know that Cliff is alive as a robot. Which is also a big thing. It's like, you couldn't at least tell this man that his daughter was alive? Like, yeah. you had to make him think that his daughter and his wife were dead? Right, right. And it just goes to show you, like, for what gain? For what, right? For what? Because, you know, your immortality, well, not immortality, but your your. Uh, longevity is gone. Yep. Your daughter is down to one wish. Yep. And she already has her period. So everything that you wanted to prevent is already happening, and you're you're leaving along a team of failed experiments along the way. How do you how do you roll down the halls of your own mansion, knowing the tortured souls in each room, and have the audacity to have therapy sessions with them to study them? And matter of fact, I just got chills because I just did. I just did. A little bit of mental math here. This bastard is trying to find the the root or the source of immortality, right? Yes. And thus he curses, curses the Doom Patrol with immortality. Yeah. Because no one yeah. would want to be yeah, immortal yeah. in any of yeah. those positions. In any of those positions, no one would want to be immortal. Because no how long does it take for a brain to truly die? The sweet do we release even of know death. As humans? <laughs> the sweet release of death is not for any of them. The negative spirit won't let uh, uh, damn Larry die. Won't even let Larry sleep sometimes. Crazy Rita Jane. doesn't even have an internal system anymore. Basically. No, it just happens when it happens. You know. And, and Jane has sixty nine personalities to choose from that don't really. They aren't even sure if they die. So right. he didn't even curse Jane. He just. He, he kidnapped Jane, basically. 100%. Just to find out, do experiments and do tapes on... on, on to find out who these maybe personalities one of the, are. Maybe and... one of the personalities is immortal, you know? <laughs> or something like that. But he traps them in life. He traps them in this cycle of bullshit, of trauma, of, of sadness. And I think while season one 
a lot of season one dealt with them having to go through their own trauma. And I'm all about trauma. I actually think that that's what one of the defining characteristics of humanity is how we respond and react to trauma. I think it colors us more than almost anything else in the world. Um, and so, and so to see people react to it in different ways and there's no real true way you're supposed to, we, it all depends on the leftovers taught us that. Yeah. We have no, the pandemic taught us that. We have no idea how to react to trauma. All we know is that humans have the capacity. Yeah, exactly. So if you know you have the capacity for it, you have to find a way to deal with it. So season one, in my opinion, was a lot of them dealing with that trauma. But I think season two, a lot of it was how the the invisible um, effects that our trauma has on other people. Oftentimes, when we go through trauma or, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Like we hit rock bottom or the lowest points of our lives. There's a lot of what people call like woe is me-ism, right? Like there's a lot of yeah. like this sucks, yada, yada, yada. Not only does that affect your day-to-day, but there are people who care about you and it affects their day-to-day. If you decide, you, you decide, you know what? The rest of my life is screwed. I'm just going to spend the rest of my life being an alcoholic. Other people are going to pay that price. If you decide to OD on drugs... Other people are going to pay that price. You understand? You become a murderer, go to jail. You, you, uh, anything you do to throw your life away, you think that you're the only victim of it. But you're not. Exactly. Yeah, no. No, and it even shows that in a lot of these Doom Patrol episodes from season one into season two, that anytime someone has to go deal with their trauma or the trauma they caused, they always take someone with them for emotional support. Yeah. And that was person, uh, Cyborg yeah. went after, um, Whatever her, I can't remember her Ronnie? name right now. Ronnie. Ronnie. Yeah. He took Robot Man for support. You know, anytime Larry or Rita went anywhere, they took each other for support. Anytime Jane or Robot Man goes anywhere, they take each other for support. Like, they need someone to to like lean that shoulder on if everything goes wrong. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, it, I, I feel like, you know, just to go back to like the trapped metaphor again, um, Cliff would never have to have, would never have to had to deal with and face his adultery or his just shitty parent parenthood if he could have died you know like Rita would have never yeah. had to deal with whether or not she was a real star or whether or not she was deal too with the mean pain to of her mother or being too pain or being too mean to people like there's a lot of asshole actors and actresses and they don't have to face themselves because they don't live to be a hundred years old <laughs> when you live to be 100 years old, of course you're going to sit there and wallow with it. Same thing with Larry. That explosion would have killed a normal man and it would have been over. But instead, he's been tortured with this body that he can't have exposed. And then this life that he lives under bandages in secret. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Larry because there is so much more under. That's just the tip of the iceberg for Larry. And the thing is, like, he has been living in the closet, uh, you know, when he was before he got hit with a negative spirit. Um, but now he's like living under the closet, right? Like he's living so far in the closet in the sense that like people don't even know he exists. People don't even know he's alive. When uh, that that uh, Russian chick comes out, she's like, oh, wow, Larry Trainer," You know, like <laughs> he now exists. We've heard world. stories of your great escapades. Does, she goes crazy. Um, so... Yeah, Cliff's going to try to hang out with Clara. The initial reunion doesn't go well at all, as Cliff shows up unannounced on the day of Clara's baby shower. Uh, but Cliff continues to try. I, a lot of people had an issue with this. 
with how abrasive, seemingly, Cliff was. How do you feel about all that? I look at it as, like, you know, being overexcited. Okay. Like, it's your daughter that you haven't seen in, like, 30 years. Like, you know, it's, it's 88 to 2019. What's that, 31 years? Yeah. Like, you haven't seen your daughter for 31 years. I would be very overly excited, too. But, you know, you can't just show up literally as a robot. There's nothing more than a brain and a finger in your pocket. Is that another added level of, what do you call that? Entitlement? Yeah. Is that Cliff feeling entitled that as her father, he should have access to her whenever? As her father, he should, he's, he's granted the right of an explanation. He's granted the right for five minutes of a conversation to at least hear me out. Like, you know, I'm your father. Like, at least right. hear me out. Right. But what, is but that, also, what does that mean to, to, to Clara? <laughs> it shouldn't mean it, it. It shouldn't mean a squirt in a piss bucket because he wasn't. Uh, you we see in his backstories as a human, he wasn't really the best father. One hundred percent. You know, like you know, when you're when you're not the best father, no, you you forfeit the right to get five minutes of an explanation because you could look at it in the realistic sense is that he abandoned her to go to the store and get a pack of cigarettes, never came back, and now he's coming back years later with all this pain and regret and guilt and you know, what's the catch? Here we, we know with Cliff there is no catch. He had no say in this. Right. How do you feel about Bethany and Lind as Clara? Oh, that's his daughter. Yeah. That's that in in character, that's straight up Cliff's daughter. I really dug when um like she's just like going over the whole house and she's just basically like, What the fuck that? <laughs> and he kinda like laughs it off too. He's like, yeah, I know. It's fucking crazy. Oh, no. The, 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 the first curse out is what sold me. When, like, she's in the kitchen and she's, like, having cramps or whatever. And she's like, fuck, 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 fuck. And sits down. And you could just, you see the shoulder movements and the, like, the small little jump. I'm telling you, go back and watch that. You see in Cliff's, in, in that act that plays Robot Man's mannerisms, that you can see the excitedness of, that is my daughter. I, you know, I knew she was going to be my daughter. Like, it's, it's those small little details that got me with that. Uh, that second reunion. It, it was just so perfect. Yeah, it was. And and Cliff nonchalantly just, yeah, this is Robot Man. This is Larry. Yeah, that's Rita. Yeah, this well, is even, Yeah, this is this. I that. was trying yeah, to we gauge. Did this, we did that. I was trying to gauge what his reaction was, why he did it. There's that moment where she tells him that she's getting married. And before she gives him the invitation, he just changes the subject. What do you think that was about? He says something like, Maybe I'm he, getting married, Dad. He, he goes, he goes um, you want to go see my room? Like He's like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, you want to go see my room? He's pro- he, 100% is probably deflection. Pro- he, he probably, you know, overthought his situation, thought he was, she was not going to invite him. Oh, but to no. Me, to I just fuck yeah, You're 100% right. And you know what the hell? The, they, they, they let us there with breadcrumbs. Because they show us the episode where Cliff had to uninvite his father. Remember? Yeah, Cliff yes. had to go tell his father, "Hey, you're kind of a piece of trash, so we don't want you at the wedding." And when I guess when she started to talk, he got that flashback, and he was like, "I'm that dad now. I'm the dad that can't go I'm to the, the damn wedding." That, that yeah, I'm getting married, but it would be weird if you show up. <laughs> but me, I to to me, damn. I get the oh, I get the anxiety and the overthinking, but I also have this sense of joy in myself, hope. I have a lot of hope in myself. So if someone brings up something like that to me, I'm immediately going to think they're inviting me. Right. 
but, but, but he got so scared Caleb has that not he been living in a world it. of optimism. Yeah, this this, <laughs> this is far from a world of optimism. Yeah, Cliff Cliff has not been uh, the most you know cheery person. But when he finally gets invited, oh my, oh my! It, I I hit you up. I said, "This is the happiest Cliff has been in the entire series." Yeah, and at and one was, point he was singing. At one point, Chiefs even talking about making alterations to him, trying to get him to like feel, give him like fingers and stuff. Uh, and that's why he that's why he grabbed that freaking. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! The door finger. and the finger came out. Um, when Dorothy attacks Jane, Cliff chooses Jane's side. He actually says the words, and it's hilarious. Fuck Dorothy. <laughs> he tells, I mean, he tells, yeah. he tells Chief, fuck Dorothy. <laughs> that that would be his best friend in a sense. That's like and the he closest friend said, he has. He literally says, "I'm Team Jane." Yeah, he said, "I'm Team Jane." And I was like, "Oh wow." Um, a lot of people were having issues with uh, Dorothy. I guess they felt that she was a little bit childlike. I mean, she is kind of sort of a child. Um. And Cliff fought it and fought it and fought it. Uh, but he agreed to help Niles and Dorothy so long as Niles is able to make the alterations that he promised. So he goes and he has his heart-to-heart with Dorothy on the moon. It's a beautiful moment where he puts his hand on her shoulder. She creates a uh, a funeral for Manny. And Sad, sad scene. Yeah. And um, instead of getting those alterations made, Cliff is jettisoned into space. Yo, uh, <laughs> that was such a freaking cliffhanger. I kind of, sort of, I kind of, sort of don't understand. Unless Niles did it on purpose, I don't understand how he lands back on Earth. I would just assume he would just float forever. I, yeah, like I, I, that ending was a bigger deal to me. That? Yeah, that ending was a bigger deal to me than it was to the show, because ultimately he just landed back on Earth in a, in in enough distance to be able to walk back to the mansion. So, um. Uh, where am I? Uh, alterations. Jettisoned. Uh, he calls everyone he can for help once he lands on Earth, including Clara, but realizes that he's alone and walks back to Doom Manor on foot. When he yeah, gets the only there, thing I can think about that him being in space thing is the, the chief probably shipped him out while they're in atmosphere, in like atmosphere or orbit in a sense. So it's but like didn't he, he knew he was something gonna... like we wouldn't be going back. He's like, we're not going home. So it's like he had that he had to take that trip into the woods. Yeah. And he couldn't let Cliff know what his intent because that's where you get all of the implication that's that's it. Time has run out. We have to kill this girl. This is Ohio, right? Aren't they in Ohio? I think so. Over yeah. in Ohio? That sounds like it makes sense. <laughs> uh so that's that's pretty damn funny. Uh bu- 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 yes. So he walks all the way to Doom Manor on foot and it's hilarious because he's cursing out the chief. Um, when he gets there, he's surprised to see Clara at the house, having gotten his phone call. He makes her breakfast, takes her on tour of the mansion, and she invites him to the wedding. Cliff is... Just- <laughs> Yo, I have to bring up the freaking finger the song? again. Oh, at the finger? <laughs> no, where he, he makes the finger a sausage by accident. Yes, and he's pissed. That was... I had no idea what happened until he grabbed it and put it in his pocket. I was like, oh my god, he cooked the fucking... He cooked the finger. Uh, worst, worst dad breakfast ever. Um, but yeah, she does invite him to the wedding. He's ecstatic, man. He sings to her and stuff. And she talks, she, she gets very vulnerable with him when she discusses that she doesn't want to get married out of fear that there might be some sort of generational curse 
affecting marriages, that the cliffs might be doomed to constantly have unhappy marriages. So he doesn't, she's scared to marry this man, even though he seems great and loves her because he doesn't, she doesn't know if it'll last. She doesn't know if she, she has the genes to make it last. And Cliff hilariously is like, hey, listen, you're half steel, but you're also half your mother. And she was kind of good. So you have that working out. Yeah, that, was a, that, that was a really like, not the right moment to bring up the fact that the steels aren't the greatest people. Right, right. But he, that was him trying to like get her to see the light in all of it. Um, and yeah, man, he's freaking ecstatic. And he starts to pick out his clothes uh, for the wedding. But he's alerted to the horrors taking place at the county fair. Knowing they have to save Dorothy, Cliff accompanies Miranda, Larry, Rita, and Vic to the fair where they each fight their childhood imaginary friend. Cliff's happens to be Jesus Christ, having attended Bible study. Uh, they du- that was one of the greatest shits ever. Uh, they duke it out before Candlemaker strikes Cliff so hard that he's broken into pieces and each one of them gets turned into wax. Uh, yeah, man, that Jesus line was hilarious. The Bible study you Jewish thing. Me, man. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah he's like, you betrayed you're Jewish, me. You're fucking Jewish, man. When did me, we man? stop being friends? <laughs> when I got older. All of that stuff was hilarious. Um, I like Cliff on LSD. Or, I'm sorry, MDMA. Uh, he was on Ecstasy. Oh, when he finally made Cliff feel, and the first thing he did was let, give Cliff the ability to get high yeah. on Sex Patrol. Yeah, he was like, I'll put, I'll oh, put some um, some MDMA in your nutrient tank. He's like, ecstasy? You're going to give me ecstasy, chief? And next thing you know, he has those glow sticks on, and he's dancing. And the thing is, I partake in the occasional recreational uh, fun time. Stimulus. Stim- stimulus. Stimuli. And I might have been when I was watching this episode. And so when the entire scene is happening with with Evans, with the shadowy Mr. Evans, um, Cliff's like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> and that's exactly how I felt. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. But this is 100% Doom Patrol. This is this no, is dumb. It was It was fantastic. And it's so brilliant because the brain does have these receptors. Remember, he does have a human brain in that robot. So yeah. Human, those human receptors are still going to be there. You give human receptors, you know, like you increase the endorphins, even if it's robot, his brain's going to trick him into thinking he's feeling. Right. And he's like so tripping he's out. Touching every, he's touching everybody with these robot hands. And I'm just going insane. I'm cracking up. I'm saying, yes, 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 yes. This is Doom Patrol season two. This is what I expected from a, a, a growth in season one, I look at season ones and twos of shows. I expect two to be somewhere that the first season wasn't. So, right. like when Umbrella Academy was in Dallas, that was great. This the uh, this uh, the boys is gonna have a new uh, uh, seven. That's awesome. Let's do it. The Doom Patrol going as far as giving Cliff the ability to get high. Yeah, give it all to me, please. Yep, um, it's so good. And like I said, Brendan Fraser, Riley Shanahan, amazing. Uh, you ready to get to our boy Larry Trainer? Oh, let's get to the great Larry Trainer, please. <laughs> so Larry Trainer slash Negative Man, played by Matt Bomber and Matthew Zuck, two Mats. That's interesting. Um, so Larry, being the only one not to shrink, spent most of his time caring for the fun-sized members of his family, which included cooking for them and rolling Jane's weed, microscopic L's. Dude, that how do the tweezers? Like I I know some know. family and friends listen to this, and I don't want no one to get offended. But I don't know if I have anyone in my life that would make me miniature pancakes and roll miniature elves for me. 
I, I, <laughs> to the point to. of you know what I mean? to the you, to the point to the point where they they like him making the dresser for Rita. Like he's putting the little mirror on the on the little wooden dresser, like the little dollops of with the eyedropper of syrup, burning the little miniature pancakes. Like he was taking such great care, and and it almost reminds of us of his garden. You know, they always show Larry's garden. Like he he does take great care to watch things and watch things grow, um, even though he doesn't really live much outside of, of the Doom Manor. Um, he's alerted by the spirit that his son Gary has committed suicide and decides the right thing to do is to attend the service and make the fact that he has been alive since the incident known. I think that funeral outfit is amazing. That green suit uh, yeah. with the tie and the and the wraps and the glasses. It's like a weird mix of like the Invisible Man I was and, just and Larry Trainer. The Invisible Man, yeah. Right, it's like this weird, cool, and it's the same green as the coat. Like It just looks very suave even though he's covered in bandages from head to toe. Um, he goes to the funeral and reveals himself to his other living son, Paul, who invites him over to meet his grandson. While having a heart-to-heart, Larry admits that he's gay and blames himself for not having the courage to tell their mother. Paul then confesses that when he was told Larry died, their mother went to a deep depression and tried on by dating other men. Uh, tried to move on by dating other men. One of the men she dated was a conspiracy theorist who led her to believe Larry was still alive which Paul believed caused her to spiral into madness. Paul left the house to follow in Larry's footsteps and become a pilot, but Gary continued to follow the conspiracy theories, ultimately taking his own life. Never able to forgive Larry for what he, uh, for what he did, and especially after finding out that he's alive, Paul calls the Bureau of Normalcy to take his father back into custody. Yeah, Paul was the youngest or the oldest? Youngest, right? Yes. Yeah, I so, believe yeah, Gary's the one with ruined the, his family. Gary's the one with the rocket. I want to say, yeah, from the he made, he made that like insensitive comment, and the mother's like, "What are you doing?" and stuff like that. And he's like, "I'm gay, Janet." That's what. No, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh man, damn it! Don't, don't you understand? <laughs> that would have been hilarious. I have uh, needs. I have needs. Damn it! And they're male. That's it. Some uh, root beer floats, if, if you will. <laughs> Um, wow. Okay. The negative spirit fights back, and when the bureau starts to shoot at Larry and Rita, who accompanied him on the trip, a bullet almost hits Larry's great grandson. Lita manages to knock uh, to block the shot with her powers, but it ricochets and hits Larry's grandson Lex. Dex. Sorry. Dex. Dex. Mortified by what happened, Rita and Larry escape. At Doom Manor, the returning pioneers of the Uncharted arrive hoping to see Niles, who sent them on a mission to retrieve the, um, some cosmic energy, believing it to be the key of immortality. The pioneers, Specs, Zip, and v- Valentina Vostok, um, arrive. He's the pilot, and he's afraid of commitment. She's the Russian one. Literally, the Russian one. I was like, what? That's not a, that's not a character. You can't just say the Russian one. Anyway, in the comics... Uh, she was part of the replacement Doom Patrol that arose when most of the original team were believed to be dead. Uh, that's Valentina Vostok. Like Larry, she had a negative spirit inside of her and she went by the name Negative Woman. In the series, she has her own spirit and managed to create harmony with it after five years of trying. This depresses Larry, who has been warring with the spirit for close to 50 years. He spent- yeah, I can't imagine somebody being, you know, 45 years since already controlling their spirit like 
Um, he, I'd be jealous. I'd be sad. I'd be all the feelings. He spends the rest of the series helping his friends like Jane go to Arkansas while being utterly depressed. He joins the coalition to save Dorothy at the fair, but is turned into wax. And that is a lot of the Larry Trainer story. I think that um, to extend upon my point about like the generational trauma thing, I, we barely got any note of his family in season one. Because he hadn't gotten over his own trauma and the stuff with his lover. Yeah, basically. Once that gets done, he starts. Now he has the wherewithal to now understand the ripple effects of what he's done and what he hasn't done, like told the truth. And man, it is just not, it is not a good time for Larry um, in this season. And I hope that he has a, he ends up getting that kind of symbiotic relationship with the spirit. I don't know any negative man personally that has been able to fully be without the, the bandages. I don't know if they're trying to do a play where uh, Matt Bomber can end up coming on, onto the show. I don't, oh, yeah, he was in some flashbacks. I hope they don't do that. I hope they stick with just negative man being negative man with the bandages because that's just cool stuff. Yeah, and I feel like it'd be going going back on stuff a bit. You know? And I don't think Doom Patrol is the kind of show that would go back on something like that. Where do you see... Because they haven't so much as made five on Umbrella Academy, you know, an adult yet. So I don't think Doom Patrol would be doing the same thing. That's true. That'd be like bringing Brendan Fraser onto the show that's not a flashback. I don't think they would go that far. Yeah. Yeah. Are you... Well, they did... Uh, what you call it? They did Jane Patrol. Uh, yes, they did do Jane Patrol. You ready to talk about but that our was, girl? But that, uh, let's talk about Diane... Guerrero with cheekbones that will saw your face off. That woman, that ridiculous, woman, ridiculous. A huge activist, um, going out of her way at various points to highlight brown and black people. Um, she, uh, Diane Guerrero herself, um, was born to immigrant parents, and at the age of fourteen, her parents were deported without her knowledge. And she comes home, no parents. And lives the rest of her life in America, kind of pulling herself up by her bootstraps, which is kind of sort of an oxymoron as in That itself. is literally <laughs> the greatest backstory. That's the most heartfelt, saddest. Like I saw a YouTube Jesus. video where she went back to her house that they raided. Um, oh my God, I can't even imagine just coming home from school or waking up and just bam, parents gone. Gone. And they don't, you know, they don't get like phone calls. And even if they did, she's 14. You know, like what, like what do you, who do you call? How do you call them? All that kind of stuff. Eventually, everyone got in contact and stuff like that. But she has lived majority of her young adult life here in America while they have been in Colombia. Um, and she, you know, orange is the new black. All that kind of stuff. She just tried. She just tried and applied herself. And now, no, she was. She was, I don't know if you've actually seen her performances on Orange Is the New Black, but she is absolute perfection. Absolute I perfection. Uh, I saw. That picture, it was like in a meme. It was her in the jail thing. Oh, the, where they use as like a Latina girl going crazy. Right. Or and I was like, date a Latina girl she's and stuff a very like pretty Latina girl. I don't think that's wrong to say. Um, and then I found out she was in Orange is the New Black, but I hadn't really paid attention until. Oh, no. Uh, she Doom legit Patrol. plays the stereotypical. I don't want to use the word stereotypical, but she does play that stereotypical Spanish Harlem millennial 20 year old. Latina girl, yeah, like that's just she. She has her hair in like pink, a pigtails or a ponytail. She's always twirling her hair. She's like chewing bubble gum. 
she has like that J-Lo accent. Like, you know, it's very stereotypical in a sense, but she just plays it perfectly. Like, you can't deny how perfect, like, that that actress is. I can't believe that backstory. That's just blowing my mind. Yeah, she's also, she also released a book in 2014 called uh, In the Country We Love, My Family Divided, a a memoir about the whole, you know, deportation and stuff. Um, so she she wrote a book, and if I'm not mistaken, she's some sort of like, like a ambassador or something. <laughs> um, all only a few years older than me, so I, I guess I still have time. But let me find out what she is actually an ambassador of, because I think that that's important as well. But yeah, man, she I, I, after doing a rewatch, there's barely an episode where this woman isn't crying. This has to be one of the most exhausting seasons to film um but yeah uh amazing so she is a advocate for immigration reform and a uh where is it there was something about her being like an official white house yada yada like something pretty big but i guess i will find it soon what do you think about um crazy jane's arc in this season the performance was just it that she didn't miss a beat, did not miss a beat. It was the same performance, the same trauma that we get from Jane, trying to figure out who she is with the personalities, not knowing if she's good enough. The only thing that's really more different here is that she's she seems more sure of herself. Yeah. She definitely seems more sure of herself until it gets towards the end of her arc. What then I- she's like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. What I realized when rewatching this season is we got a lot more of the underground this season, a lot more of those other actresses in the underground, Secretary, uh, Pretty Polly, uh, Scarlet Harlot, Baby Doll, etc. Um, very women-centric storyline there. A lot of women on the screen. Uh, very, it, it like that. That's there's something to be said for that, right? Like all those women being hired, being in scenes together. Uh, having this this sisterhood in the underground, I think it's a, it's all a very and cool also a very visual. diverse cast of women too. Like you know you you mm-hmm. you, ha- you have the authoritative strong black woman. You have you know the 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 little Spanish girl that everybody has to like mother over. Like yeah. you know like there's there's so many different personalities that I I personally feel the show hasn't even scratched the surface yet. Right. I mean, sixty four. We probably see twenty. Yeah. If that yeah, basically it's. It, it, it was the same thing with the movie Split. Like, there's once you once you add that much personality, like numbers of personalities, you're gonna have to show them one way or another. Yeah. Um. So in September 2015, she was named one of the presidential ambassadors for citizenship and naturalization by Barack Obama. She's just perfect. So I was like, marry me. But <clears throat> <laughs> not only are we talking about Jane here. But we cannot talk about Jane or Kay uh, Chalice without talking about Miranda, played by Samantha Marie Ware. So, Miranda was the first of Jane's personalities to take control of Kay Chalice and take responsibility for keeping her safe way before she was experimented on and given superpowers. She successfully stopped Kay's mom from exercising her as a young adult, although she still experienced frequent trauma Um, from her sexually abusive father. For instance, a common punishment Miranda would receive was she would be lowered down into a well and forced to spend hours alone at the bottom of it. After one such punishment, she manages to escape 
which Jane saw as a tremendous act of emotional courage. Unbeknownst to Jane, Miranda continued to be the primary well into her adult life and managed to meet and fall in love with the guitarist while working at a diner. They fall in love and move in together and decide to throw a housewarming party, which Miranda doesn't know is ultimately a key party or a party where adults swap partners. Miranda is shocked to know that this is what her boyfriend wants, but tries to go through with it anyway. During sex with her boyfriend's boss, she sees her father atop of her, and the trauma is too much. Miranda is stripped of her duties as primary, showing she cannot keep Kay safe from predators, and a new personality arises. Jane. In her shame, Miranda jumps into the well in Kay's mind and is seemingly gone forever. What do you think about that Miranda backstory that we got in the final episode? Man, I I I don't know what it is, but I there's I don't like seeing. It's not that I don't. Uh, how do, <laughs> how can I put this? I hate seeing men abuse women in in media, and I know it's very real. It's a real thing that happens. Yeah, but sometimes I don't like seeing it. But when I really don't like seeing it is when you go out of your way. For an entire season to give us this strong, assertive, sure of herself woman only to fall victim to some hippie playing the guitar. Yeah. Like, it, 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 it bothered me. It, 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 I felt like they completely went back on this, char- on this character for a sense. But then they dropped the real, well, the real nugget of truth on me. And it shows that that Miranda that we're that we have been seeing since she arrived out of the well isn't Miranda. So your beef was the fact that if Miranda fell in this instance in the seventies, why is she acting holier than thou now? Yeah, why is she like like how is she being so strong and and sure and, and like, all that kind of sure stuff. of herself? Oh, okay. If she just fell so yeah, vic- privy and totally victim, see, I could totally. But see now that, yeah. I'm getting this impression that these are t- that two completely different characters two different personalities and it even goes and shows it by i know that that note that jane found yeah was already placed there that wasn't no been there since like you know k was was a girl right hmm. like so two different personalities it's they it, the show keeps finding ways to surprise me and it's great and you know we've been talking about like well, not we, but I think as a society, people have been, um, you know, going over this not new term, but more colloquial term of gray rape. This idea that there are, you know, when we when people think of rape, they think of the um, forceful, uh, you know, forceful sexual abuse, you know, um, and there are levels to it. You know, you can coerce somebody verbally. You can coerce somebody with stimulants. You can coerce somebody with power, you know, and so many women, men, you know, so many people have done sexual acts for the wrong reasons that end up causing tremendous levels of mental trauma. Um, Most of the time that trauma comes from trusting someone with this very delicate act or this very sensitive act and having that person uh, betray you. You know, trusting yourself and trusting your body and ultimately having somebody who you thought you could trust more uh, show you that, that that's not possible. Um, were you surprised to see that Jane was what was what arised from that incident? 
Yeah. It, it, it completely baffled me. Like, like um, the whole... He sent me that picture with the lightsaber from Force Awakens. Cracked me up. Oh. <laughs> the whole just her coming to this realization that maybe she isn't as strong as she thought she was. Maybe maybe through all of this, like she's not the Jane that she thinks she can be. And submits all power to Miranda. It's like, it was just completely like the 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 arc was going so many places for me. Yeah. And at the end of it, it comes down to the trauma Jane feels. Yeah, and that I think sense of responsibility towards Kay, towards everything. We talk about this a lot off air, but I often say that different levels of your life demand a different version of yourself. If you want to, you know, like you, if you are not happy with your lot in life, you might need to do some changes to get to a different level. It's like a video game, you know, you have to get certain experience points uh, and accumulate certain actual life experiences or tangible things in life. Maybe a job, maybe a car, maybe an apartment, maybe a house, maybe a dog, maybe a wife, you know, and certain you're you're wanting of those things. Um, ain't enough sometimes. You have to actually manifest change to get those things. And I think that Jane started to fear that Jane was keeping Kay from being happy. And it's even brought up. They have an entire... Um, we'll talk about it, but they have an entire... What do they call it? Intervention for J- for Jane. Because yeah. she's drugging herself. And they're like, this is not what the kid wants. Which is the first semblance of doubt that, you know, Jane may not be. Yeah, but it's so best. crazy because none of these kid, none of these personalities know what the kid truly wants. A kid doesn't even know what she I, wants. I want to know if, like, one of the one of the, like, uh, one of the like darker moments or one of the like, um, I don't know, more uncomfortable moments is while she's having sex with her boss. Uh, or sorry, her um, her boyfriend's boss. She changes to Scarlet Harlot. So there's a yeah. there's a personality in her for survival reasons that likes sex. That's I'm fucked, not gonna lie. I it? started getting really I started getting really scared that <laughs> isn't yeah, that fucked? My God, that's yeah, fucked. She has a survival instincts that it, the personality has to like sex to get out of it. So like. In case, like, she's being raped, the personality changes, and it turns out she now likes it. What like, kind of shit? Like, it's, it's fucked, bro. It's so, it's so fucked. And that's I the was one... getting scared to that whole scene because there was a moment where she was, like, stuttering. I thought she went to oh, baby pretty, doll. No, Pretty Polly. It was Pretty Polly. No, it wasn't Polly. It was, is it Pretty Polly? Is that her name? The one with the, the one, the one, the British one. Yeah, she was going to the British one. I think it is uh, Pretty Polly or something. <sighs> I feel like that's and then, not her name. <laughs> yo, I started going. I started getting scared because I thought she was gonna go silver tongue to where I was saying it out loud. Don't, don't, don't turn to silver tongue. Don't turn to silver tongue. No, pretty. And then I feel like the, did she create Jane there, or was Jane always that personality there? I think she created Jane there. Uh, you think that Jane and was I, born there? Yeah, and I also don't, I also believe that that's where Scarlett Harley was born. I also believe that in that moment, you know, just. Literally, just shifting through what can survive this, what can, you know, what can get past this. Opening up new stations. Yeah, one hundred percent. Just to just to move past this. Um, it's not pretty, Polly. It's son of a gun, bro. How are we gonna? How how are we not? Penny farthing. It's penny farthing. Penny, penny, penny 
Farthing. Penny Farthing. She only speaks with go. a stutter on the surface, remember? Yes. Um, and that's... Uh, I'm sorry, sir. And so, like, she's being seemingly raped. And it's just shifting through personalities to get through the trauma. It was one of the most uncomfortable... Oh, no, I ever. wanted that scene to end. I really wanted that scene to end. Once I knew what was going down, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. No, abort, abort, abort. And, and a lot of the personalities are imbued with this incredible amount of power, right? But Jane seemingly has no superpower. Her respect in the underground is her ability to do things like this. Her ability to stop the shit. Filter, unfilter. Yeah, yeah to stop, stop the shit. Stop the nonsense, and, yeah. And, and, get, and, and, and save Kay. Well, in a sense, you know, to me, I'm not going to lie. I feel like Jane is grown-up Kay. It could be. If if K if K would have been any of those personalities, if she would have grew up to be any of the Jane would have been who K grows up to. Yeah. They look the most similar because even on the underground, once you get to the underground and you see everybody's actual personality like appearance, you realize the only one that would probably look like an adult K is Diane Guerrero Jane. But that, but then then you would assume that like the idealized version of adult K is Karen. Right, like the yes. like the imagination. When I grow up, I'm gonna be in love, and I'm gonna be happy, and I'm gonna be a grown the woman. old blonde '90s star. Right, right. You understand? Know so, like, there's so it, it's so messed up. Like all of all of that. So many because you know what it is? It's just because that's I I feel like it's a metaphor of that's what a roll of the dice kids are when they grow up. Like you could be anybody. You could be. Dr. Harrison, you could be Karen, you can be You could be Penny, Driller, could be Driller Bill. Driller Bill is like, you know, since you've been on those on those pills, I haven't been drilling or billing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the black construction worker. Right, right, right. Oh. When they're in the oh underground. He's like, you know, since you've been on them drugs, I haven't been drilling or billing. Um, uh, so, Jane is now seen as the only personality that, that can protect Kay after the Miranda incident. And she holds that status all the way until she realizes that, like the other Doom Patrol members, she's an experiment from Niles Calder to increase his life. So that puts the revelation that Niles considered, um, that plus the revelation that Niles considered pawning her off to Josh Clay, the man who watches over the old damaged Doom Patrol in the nursing home of sorts, causes her to drug herself every day so as to not feel the pain of being betrayed by somebody else that she cares about. Another father figure. Gonna send her off. Lock her away. She saw her room. Remember? <laughs> they showed her her room in the Doom Patrol. Uh, the OG Doom Patrol uh, yeah. place. And she never forgot that he was going to pawn her off. Um, it changes their relationship forever. The other personality starts to question Jane's ability to lead. Saying being drugged up all the time is not what Kay wants. But Jane st- holds steadfast that she's the only person for the job. She does that thing. They say, what exactly do you do? And she goes, I fucking survive. Every day. The shit that goes on. <laughs> she was very yeah, upset. But she was like, But she was like, that's what I do. That's what I do. I fucking survive. Every day. That's she my job. She pot. She chills with a robot man. and I survive. She does what she has to. Um, after realizing the sacrifices Miranda made so they can be a Jane, right? Because if Miranda doesn't get out of that well, there's no life. So I think Jane really felt, um, I wouldn't say subservient, but extremely grateful, thankful. Like, it was a revelation. 
that I wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't even have this be this close to the semblance of a normal life if it wasn't for Miranda taking the stands against the father, against daddy, who everyone knows is this evil figure. Which is like, well, was it a stance or was it just running away and leaving a note? Goodbye. Well, the note was very defiant. And I think that that defiance is a stance in itself, right? True. Yeah. Um, so Pen uh, is mightier than the sword. 100%. And I don't know, I, to our knowledge, they never met back up. To our knowledge, Kay has never seen the dad again since that moment. Um, but yeah, she's extremely grateful for everything that Miranda did. And like I said, uh, the allowance to be a, uh, a Jane. And after Dorothy and Candlemaker sort of kind of kill Baby Doll and Flaming Katie, Jane just relinquishes control to Miranda, who mysteriously rises back from the well. Um, believing her to be stronger and have better intentions, Jane allows Miranda to take control. But as a last-ditch effort to stay useful, she tries to retrieve a stuffed animal of Kay's from the bottom of the, her childhood well, but is betrayed by Miranda, who throws Jane inside the metal well. The mental well. When Jane discovers the body of the real Miranda personality buried at the bottom of the well, we are shocked so to learn freaking <laughs> that, Miranda, that the Miranda we have been seeing is actually some sort of like manifestation of the trauma felt at the hands of her father. And it definitely isn't what Kay wants at all. While she's helping save Dorothy, she's attacked by Candlemaker and turned into wax. So that is Jane. Anything else you want to say on, on Jane's behalf? Uh, no, she's a fantastic character, fantastically acted and written. There's so many metaphors and just deep-seated traumas that, like, you, the realization that Scarlet Harley was made up to withstand sex, forceful yeah. sex, yeah. sex she doesn't want. Like, it's... It, it, it's all crazy, and I think it's time to get to the next one that's traumatized by sex. Oh, wait, real quick. Uh, you know, how did you know that was my order? Anyway, real quick. <laughs> real quick. Um, we also have to remember that, like, when Baby Doll died, she said something along the lines like, you don't understand what the death of Baby Doll means. She's the only, she's one of the only ones that cared about men's attention. You know, so they do all serve a purpose. They do all speak yeah. to the hidden needs of Kay. The hidden needs of of the the actual child, so um, that's all bananas. And that I really uh, related to the conversation her and Larry had at um, when they were walking in Arkansas about her not just wanting to disappear, because ultimately the conversation was about not understanding what how you're supposed to live without the trauma that you have survived. Once you get past that and you start to feel happiness, can you trust that happiness? Or is it easier to just sit in the pessimism of trauma? Because if you sit in the pessimism of trauma, you'll never, ever be uh, disappointed or betrayed. And she's been on her defensive for so long that the idea of relinquishing the power to Miranda and being happy? Recovering? We can be happy. Remember when she said it? She was like, we can... Yeah. We can be happy. She doesn't know a life without this mental trauma, without surviving. She doesn't Most know a life don't. where she's thriving. A lot of people don't. And when they get to the point where they have to, they second guess all of it. Because they can't be sure. And life is a gamble. And no one has all the answers. But when, you, when it comes to somebody who's trying to protect themselves from trauma, not having all the answers is one of the most terrifying things in the world. Because you don't want to just fall into the same well that you had before. So great job again by Diane Guerrero. I think she killed it. 
But we're ready to talk about my homie, uh, the MVP of last season. She got a bit of a smaller role this season, but I think she still kills it where, where, where she's needed. And that is Rita Farr, a.k.a. Elastic my, Girl. My favorite. I love her so much. She's just... I, her, I, her fucking um, what what's that accent? Uh, Mid Atlantic, I heard it's called. Yeah, Mid Atlantic. It's, it's Mid Atlantic, right? That yeah. Mid Atlantic accent. Uh, yeah. She talks like this, and just that, like it's, yes. it's perfect, absolutely perfect. I love her so much. She goes, I can't April believe, Bobby. I can't believe you now are having a pity party and didn't invite me. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm like you're hilarious, Rita. Um, no, and April Bowlby just completely just knocks it out of the park, especially since. I've only seen her in one other thing, and that's playing a big-breasted, dumb redhead <laughs> on Two and a Half Men. Yes, men, men, men. men so men. going from Two and a Half Men to Rita Far, it's just it's it's like night and day. It's it, it's water and fire. Like it blew my mind. She's effortless in the role. She has that classic movie star beauty. Um, I very think. Rita Hayworth, very yeah. Marilyn Monroe. Right. I think she. I think that the actress is great. Um, but right now, Rita having her first taste of heroism during the painting fiasco, you know, she was the one who convinced Mr. Nobody. Uh, so now she's like, well, maybe I can try to harness my abilities. When she can't seem to control them, she seeks help from our boy, Flex Mentalo, who uh, comes back. And together, <laughs> they determine she has a mental block created by an incident in which... Um, her mother slept with a producer to get her a role. Um, the ensuing trauma of that realization forces Rita to second-guess her entire career trajectory because she's like, how did I get so famous? Maybe I wouldn't have gotten that famous if my mom didn't sleep with the producer, which starts a whole, you know, thing. And we saw, we saw how her mom and her parents are basically stage parents in that first episode where they're like, oh, you don't got to worry about school. And uh, yeah, and then that guy or that actress was like, "What's your name?" And she's like Gertrude. And the mother's like, "Uh, uh, uh." And she's like Rita Far. She has a stage. She had the stage name as a kid. The mother had it ready. Yeah. No one so Rita Far is not even her real name. No one wanted to deal with Gert- Gertrude Cramp, which I, the first time she uses that name for real is when she's in um, Florida with uh, Cliff. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy in the bar that was that was uh. Order the nachos or whatever. Uh, wings. She ate all wings. the wings. <laughs> she ate every wing that she could. Um, so, uh, yeah. Trauma, 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 trauma. Uh, she chooses to seek out a local theater group and start from the beginning. She finds out the group is set to recreate the events of the very first episode of the series and is horrified to know that she's been portrayed as a vain villain. She's given the role of the beekeeper. Which I feel like she owns, like you know, like that's a very small. Oh, she owns. She owns that role. There are no small parts. Isn't the line? Girl, like, isn't the line part. my bees? <laughs> my bees. My bees. But she wants to ad lib something like yeah, a whole monologue. Like, there's a whole episode where they just talk about the fact that her only line is my bees. <laughs> but she actually meets the actual town beekeeper to get like a personality of her yeah. to know. How she would personally say my bees. Right. It's it's like and she's wearing the outfit and she's telling everybody that she is the beekeeper. Um so uh I think she owns the beekeeper role because it's probably the first one she feels like she earned. Yeah, definitely. You know, so she's like, I no, I went in, I auditioned, I got this role. No one slept with nobody, like Yes. 
So she tries doesn't to matter the role they gave it to me. She she chooses to ignore the trauma as best as she could and the self doubt passed down by her mother and be proud of herself for once. Um, when she joins the Doom Patrol and trying to save Dorothy, she's confronted by an imaginary friend she made out of paper as a child, who she abandoned because the eyes of the paper doll belong to her mother, which is kind of yep. that's also kind of screwed up. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of sad, kind of depressing. The doll turns sinister and berates her before turning her into wax. So as you can tell, all of my character breakdowns end with people being turned into wax. Because <laughs> that's how the show ends, <laughs> for the most part, is everyone's turned into wax. Uh, but like I said, I loved Rita. I'll talk more about her when we talk about Dr. Time and Shadowy Mr. Evans, because I think those two characters, she gets more of a play with. Um, but yes. Uh, you ready to talk some Vic Stone? Let's talk some Javon Wade. Let's the, do it. He's a Doom Patrol member that has been giving comic book click the most love on Twitter. So that is awesome. Major shout out to Mr. Wade, a.k.a. Vic Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg. At the start of this, Vic is dealing with serious PTSD as the effects of Mr. Nobody playing with his mind and starting to get with him. Get to him. He goes to his hometown of Detroit and seeks help at a veteran outreach for PTSD and meets Ronnie Evers, played by Karen Obilom. A military veteran who is severely injured by an IED while on duty overseas. Shortly after her incident, a paramilitary company named Quorum approached her and gave her robotic enhancement so long as she became a soldier for hire. After killing for Quorum without so much as batting an eye, she was fired and had her enhancements forcefully removed for messing up. The removal of her spinal support system has caused chemicals to leak into her body, killing her. Vic meets Ronnie while attending that PTSD support group for his own trauma. It takes a while for Ronnie to trust Vic, but she eventually does, and he tries as best as he can to help her. After the scant incident, she takes the Uma Jelly and learns the location of a quorum executive whom she murders as revenge. When Cyborg tracks her down to apprehend slash confront her about the murder, they fight for the first time. While she is getting the better of him, Cyborg's defense systems make his sonic cannon disappear, but Vic does not take the shot, letting Ronnie escape in the progress. He goes to help Dorothy with the rest of the Doom Patrol and ends up fighting his childhood imaginary friend, Dr. Cowboy, <laughs> uh, who <laughs> looks a lot like his dad, before Cowboy turns into Candlemaker and turns Vic into wax. Which is probably the most annoying that actor has ever acted his entire life. Dr. He's Cowboy? Just talking <laughs> like this, partner. And just, yeah, you got me. And I'm like, oh my God, can we just, like, oh man, you're making it really. I get the ridiculousness, but now you're just going too ridiculousness for me. Man, uh, it's like a red plaid shirt with like a brown duster and a 10 gallon hat. So while there is, while there is no female Ronnie Evers in the comics, there is a gentleman named Ronald Evers in the comics. And Ronald Evers was the best friend and later enemy of. Cyborg. Uh, he grew up on the same streets, all that kind of stuff, and eventually um, got hit with a bomb. And they did the same cyborg kind of thing to him as well. And he became the other half of that coin, the uh, killmonger to the Black Panther, if you will. So maybe that's dope. what maybe the that's what they're setting up. The foil character. Yeah. So maybe that's, that's pretty... what they're setting up. Ro- uh, Ronald Ron Evers, but this is Ronnie Evers. So. Well, it kind of gives a, a, a not more, but the same amount of emotional weight as a love interest that would a best a childhood best friend. Yeah, like yeah, it's totally. that same emotional weight to me. Yeah. Ready to get into some of these villains? 
Let's get into these villains. First one I got to talk about is my man, Dr. Jonathan Time. Yo, bro, Dr. Time is, <laughs> Dr. Time is great. Uh, he's created by Arnold Drake and Bruno uh, Primiani, uh, who created the Doom Patrol. And he's played by Brandon Pereira and Dan Martin. I think Dan Martin does the voice. So Dr. Time is a normal man who became a time traveler when he gained possession of a rare mineral called Continuinium that can bend time. He is said to have gone mad from years of traversing time and chooses to remain in a time capsule locked on his favorite date of all time, midnight, August 8th, 1980. Chief builds a temporal gateway that sends Rita, Cliff, and Jane to remove the Continuinium from inside of his helmet. The whole mission goes awry when Rita, trying to remove the helmet, cracks Time's head open, leaking Continuinium all over the floor. Horrified that they were sent to murder a man instead of rob one, Rita slaps Chief in the face and, the, and walks away. So last season, I remember uh, thinking it was hilarious that they found a way to incorporate Ring My Bell uh, for the, the, I think it was the Recreator, Decreator line. Oh, the, yeah, the Recreator, Decreator, Eye in the Sky. Yeah, so they, they just pull out this Motown hit and they just have a bunch of people dancing in the street. Bad girls. <laughs> uh, and in this one, it's Bad Girls. In, in Dr. Time's uh, thing, is Bad Girls. And that song is so much funkier than I really realized. And watching them in this roller rink doing that that whole toot toot. Yeah. Beep beep. <laughs> and his little outfit, his little flair, uh Brandon Pereira killing it on the skates. I can never be that stylish on skates. Um that whole outfit is hilarious. His deep voice, come on, baby. <laughs> it's all about time. Um, really, really funny. I really, really like Doctor Time. Um and the idea that you have to tell exactly what you were doing at that time to get there. Uh, and Cliff was lying, so he wasn't able to get through in the first time. Oh, yeah. He was cheating. And I also love Rita's um, PowerPoint presentation about how they're going to defeat Dr. Time. That was hilarious. With her little stick figure, Dr. Time uh, drawing. And they're like, who drew that? Dorothy? And then when they see him in real life, they go, oh, I'm sorry for making fun of your drawing. Because <laughs> it's basically it. A man with a clock that in her face. So, that was so messed up. Poor Rita. Yeah. But how about somebody more sinister? How about somebody like Red Jack? Let's oh talk- man, that his his design was great. His his uh the daggers yes. around the head. Great he, design. Well that's because he's a crazy character created by the crazier Grant Morrison, uh, and Richard Case, and he's played by Roger Floyd. Red Jack is a merciless being who feeds on the suffering of others. The people he tortures turn into butterflies, which he collects and keeps as a reminder of their agony. Now, as Colder first met Red Jack at, as a child in England, when Red Jack seemed to see something in the boy. It's also implied that the murders of famed serial killer Jack the Ripper were really done by Red Jack. After almost a hundred years, Red Jack invites Niles, Rita, and Larry to his home in hopes of passing his mantle of painmaker down to Colder. When Colder refuses, Jack forcefully... Uh, Jack forces butterfly wings to painfully inject, uh, sorry, eject from the back of all three of his prisoners. Niles manages to crawl close enough to Jack to stab him repeatedly to death, and Rita rescues Larry. When they are free, they realize Jack has captured all his victims and trapped them in butterfly form in some morbid collection. The still-living victims have their wings pinned, and the constant pain is what feeds Jack. Rita and Larry release the butterflies, ridding the world of the sadistic Red Jack. 
There's that whole scene where Jack's like sticking his thumbs through somebody's eyes and just like licking his chomps. And I'm like, this guy yeah, is just out yeah. of control. He's like eating people in a sense. He just he feeds off of pain. He needs people to be in constant pain. That's why he has those butterflies pinned. Alive, but pinned. It's ridiculous. Let's talk about the sex demon, Shadowy Mr. Evans, played by Brad Brinkley. Man. <sighs> so Shadowy Mr. Evans is a sex demon that is summoned when intense sexual energy is released into the world. As per the prophecy, if enough sexual energy builds up, he will give birth to a baby, and when the baby cries, it will signal the end of the world as we know it, removing all children from existence and turning the rest of the planet into an X-rated sex apocalypse. Uh, uh, God, yeah. Doom Patrol doesn't fail to fucking really get you there. <laughs> Filled with unstoppable orgies and violent depravity. He's summoned when Flex Mentalo makes loose, uh, Rita loosen up with his flexing abilities. Once he arrives as Doom, at Doom Manor, the sex men, cuddles, kiss, and torture, paranormal sex ghost hunters arrive to stop the prophecy. Mr. Evans shows up and gives birth to the child, and no one seems to be able to stop him, but Hammerhead... Uh, who sues the baby before shoving it back where it came from, seemingly destroying Evans once and for all. Although Evans is never seen again, Doom Manor continues to be plagued by sex ghosts. <laughs> so that's that's a thing. That was... I, I, was Cliff, Cliff wasn't able to orgasm. Yeah, but he was too high. <laughs> oh yeah, so he couldn't even do anything. Oh, he was, I forgot. He, he was standing there too high. And um, the thing is, Dr. Harrison had went to go talk to cuddles in the truck uh, realizing that cuddles was the name of his stuffed porcupine that helped him achieve his first orgasm because you know how Jesus. Harrison works <laughs> she <laughs> goes for the deepest darkest secret that you got and when, when Harrison and Jane when the entire body of K. Chalice realizes that they'll, they're going to get rid of all kids that's when Hammerhead takes over and goes to stop the because you have to save K. so Sex ghosts. Last, sex is this ghosts. Last? Is this all last? the yes. sex ghosts. And there, and there was still sex ghosts left over. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's still, still plagued by sex ghosts. Doom Manor. Forever, seemingly. Last, that's hilarious. Last but not least, we have the Scant Queen, played by Gemma Zig Ziegler, uh, who's also in that Doom Patrol group, and who had a birthday recently. I got to say happy birthday to the Queen. So that was awesome. Oh, yeah, and shout out to Dr. Harrison for also, reaching out to me as well. Also being in the group. Awesome. Yep, I love that group. That group is amazing. But this one, this scant queen, she reminded me a lot of um, Elizabeth Banks' role in Hunger Games. Yes, yes, you're right. Very powdered wig and poof. I forgot her name. Er- Ellie? Something like that? Ugh, anyway. Scants are... Ethel or something? Or it Ethel? is something like that. Um, scants are humanoid pests that work in a hierarchy like bees. Scants place bad ideas in your head, and when your, I- your brain accepts the bad ideas as good ideas, a pink substance known as... Idiot, idiot, <laughs> which is only visible to scans, starts to leak out of your ears. They collect the substance and refine it to its most potent form, Uma jelly. The jelly is so they're then, basically pollinating you. Yes, the but I think you'll die after event. You know, they keep taking this stuff. You'll die. The jelly is then given to the queen, and the consumption gives her powers. To rid yourself of an, of an infestation, you have to kill the queen. After Scants infected a piece of canvas, they were uh, visited by Vic Stone, Ronnie Evers, Miranda, Larry Trainer, and Willoughby Kipling, taking them all prisoner. They were given to the Queen, who had them hooked up to machines, sucking idiot to convert them to convert it into Uma Jelly. 
tasting some of the umujeli, she begins to calmly taunt all of the others. However, Miranda was unaffected and had Silvertongue take control of her body, destroying the queen's waterbed before killing them all with Lucy Fugue's uh, electricity. And boom! They killed all the scants, they killed the idiots, but I actually love, that part from the episode that I love is when you have Miranda and um, Larry just, like, it, they're more high than anything oh, else. Oh, and they're in the hospital. And they're like, no one's gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna see through our, our cool disguises. <laughs> they're just wearing doctor go- coats. And they're just, and they're like, they're literally like high giggling. Like, like uh, Diane Guerrero looks high as hell. And then there's oh, but, the... Yeah, but who was this personality that she was? Just chewing bubble gum and her hair up? Like, I don't know. I think it was just Miranda on Idiot. <laughs> I really think it was just her on on that stuff, and you have the moment where they're watching the video about the scants, and um, Larry's trying to throw popcorn into his mouth, even though his whole <laughs> face is covered by bandages. Uh, and I think we've gotten to that part of the podcast because we're nearing the end. We've gotten to the awesome moments part of the podcast. Um, I uh, wrote down just some random things, and if you pop, if anything comes into your head, just let me know. But one of the things that comes into my head is the silly little song that Niles has to sing to contact Kipling. Like he's sitting in a, in a wheelchair and he has to sing some song, hit a ukulele and turn an a umbrella. <laughs> and then Kipling ran, uh, randomly appears. I thought that was really hilarious. Um, Larry cooking, the care, taking and making those little, those little pancakes. Oh, that's just, yeah, that's just perfect. Um, and and the, everything, the little... Um, the little dropper, like I said, again, of syrup. Larry and Miranda's disguises I already spoke about. Um, when when Dorothy finally convinces Cliff to take her on a car ride when they're small, that's a very touching moment before it goes off the rails. Um, so oh, Cliff, said, Cliff beating up rats therapeutically. Cliff oh, beating up yes. rats therapeutically is um, perfection. Absolute perfection. Go ahead and, and, and uh, fight more rats to fill that hole in your body. And then he comes back with the whole rat outfit... Whole filled asshole. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Whole filled asshole. And I think it was because he was he had like a, a grudge from the rat that went into his body and just was like continuing to Yeah. And every like everyone just, else was dealing with the trauma of being small differently. You know? And that's just how he felt that's what he did to, to pass his time. Punch rats in the face. And then you have that that scene with the rat eating its own baby in front of Dorothy. That was jacked up. You know, like, what the hell? Really, really crazy stuff there. Um, cooking the finger. We already talked about it. Just the whole, br- the whole trying to stop a car robbery and it just going awry was just perfect. The finger, yeah. Uh, the finger getting t- uh, taken off. Stealing stone. Getting it Stealing done. Stealing stone. Getting it done. Troubles, Troubles on, on the run. A hundred percent. Or the Avengers with uh, Borg and the beekeeper. Yes, beekeeper and Borg. Um, we have Steel and Stone shirts, people, available on Tee Public. They're actually a very high selling item right now at Comic Book Clicks uh, merchandise store at dpublic.com. All those links will be in the show notes, so you can check those out when you get a chance. Um, I I got goosebumps at one point. And I, it wasn't even a, a tremendous, like, a crazy special effects scene or anything like that. I really, really loved Dorothy singing Pure Imagination. Oh, well, who was playing the piano? Was it Niles? Fox? Niles. It was Niles. He was like, oh, yeah, yes. this is your favorite, isn't it? And she's like, yeah, I have an idea of how to like get Danny back. Yeah, and they brought Danny back to life with the song. That's yeah, that what opens the moment. doors. That's what, like, first of all, I forgot how beautiful that song is. 
Like that song is just really well written. Oh, it's the best song of that of that movie, definitely. Uh, well, I mean, if the combination, I mean, if the competition is Oompa Loompa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah you understand like it, oh my god like all of it and the idea that of course Dorothy would love that song her world is literally full of imagination pure imagination yeah her world is literally do, you know taking advantage of this ability that she can make all these uh, uh, things happen and she would believe it more than anyone else and like there's a moment where, like all the Dorothy moments, I'm tar, I'm sorry, but I fell in love with that character. Like I didn't have no, the same hate yeah. that other people had, and it's because they gave us beautiful, heartfelt moments uh, repeatedly. Rita giving her makeup, sitting with, sitting there with her and giving her makeup. Um, Flex, why the long face? Oh, I just look like that. And he goes, No, 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 I'm not talking about that. You look like you're a little sad. Like yeah, he's not. Yeah, it's amazing. Man. The guy's amazing. And then he's like, you know, the, the cliff funeral on the moon. He, like... go, he goes, you know, um, we need to put that that uh, that um, disco ball up there, but I can't reach it. You think you can help me? And she does, and he does it with her. Like so great all the time that you see the yeah, Danny's flexes are up in the air. Like the Danny's are filled with so much respect and love and non-judgment right every oh, time they come like around my, that was one of my favorite moments of that series like you know when when he becomes the tire and he's like you know i'm, I'm going off and flex is like hey uh, can we come with you and he's like you know it wouldn't be Danny the street without you and they just all go yeah uh, crazy and then you have the moment where um uh freaking that guy comes up behind larry and is like Oh, you must be fit as fuck under those bandages. And he's like, "Yeah, thanks. If I take them off, everyone here's gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> nice and the work, guy, Larry. like, the guy, like, looks around and walks away. <laughs> and I'm like, "You just that wasn't great." I, yeah, I have right here the heart to heart with Cliff on the moon. You know, um, Rita being told how evil and vain the blob lady was, and having to sit there and take it was a was a was a pretty cool scene. Um, and then her trying to stand up to Ronnie, uh, but not, oh, but kind of so not, telling you, but kind of not. I'm telling you, her face looked like she was scared as hell under that mask. But she stood there, kind of, sorta. She came. She didn't have to come. She came, even oh, though she even came her earlier heart, in the even series. Her touching moment with with Vic, when Vic is listening to pictures of you over and over. Nothing's and more touching to... than her touching moment with Larry. When you start to Always. realize that these two were were basically raised together in this house, and yeah, that the first like person, yeah. the first person to accept Larry completely, completely his homosexuality, the radiation, the bandages was Rita. And they will always have each other's back because of that. If you go back and watch season one, there's a lot of moments where Rita makes Larry do something or Larry makes Rita do something, and they do it out of this begrudging respect. This is where that grows from. From Larry feeling like he had nothing and nobody to her saying that he's not a lost cause because nobody's a lost cause as long as somebody believes in them. Yep. Great line. Beautiful sentiment. Beautiful sentiment. Um, but I think that's about it. I feel like we've named almost everything. No, yeah, we, co- we covered all the bases. We covered everyone's timeline up until the season finale. All of our favorite moments. I guess. Gave every actress and actor credit. Yeah, I guess we could button this up uh, by talking about our predictions. Uh, I guess we can go just with certain characters because they the, the threads got left off as they did. Do you think Cliff gets to that wedding? Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's going to be his closing arc. That's going to be his closing arc for that character. I'm not saying that the show is going to fully end season three or whatever, but I'm just saying like for that specific story, it's going to close out with him being able to be at his daughter's wedding. Okay. 
Um, and we we're definitely gonna find out who this Miranda is. Yeah, we haven't found out a hundred percent if personalities can die, but I'm assuming we're gonna see the return of Gene. I don't know, man. It looked good. that that other Miranda at at the bottom of that well pretty looked pretty dead. Yes, he did. They so so, did, so did, uh, yeah, so Scarlet did, uh, Harlet. yeah, yep. And, um, oh my god, wait, was that who she maybe that's who she was freaking killing off? Yeah, the people. everyone that was there that night. Oh, that kind of makes sense too. But Baby Doll got killed. Baby, I don't know why she, well, no, ba- ba- why Baby she Doll got, got killed because of the whole fight with, um, oh, she might have face? killed Scarlet Harlet out of pure shame. Yeah, maybe that, 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 that personality was even manifested. Any personality that would be into sex and men that much like nah well fuck. that like a sex in that way where even the most the vile of form is kinky like yeah like a nymphomaniac a... almost you know which then gets can get used as an object but which i'm pretty sure no one is trying to get used as you think we get ronnie back we definitely are because you're bringing up that it's an actual foil character of cyborg in the comics we're definitely going to get more to that a lot of people are wondering if and when cyborg is going to go to titans well, isn't these two different worlds as far as Crisis goes? They are. Um, I don't think we'll see them together. So maybe uh, Titans don't exist here. But it's the same way. Like you, you watch, um, you watch, like Teen Titans, and you realize, oh my god, he started there, like in Doom Patrol, uh, Beast Boy. It seems so weird. And now yeah, you have Cyborg as a Doom Patrol member. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, and you're like, you're right. We got Doom Patrol in Titans, and that's how Beast Boy goes over. He leaves the Doom Patrol, um, but apparently it's not the same Doom Patrol. Apparently, somehow, but it is what it is. I mean, is. is it Matt Bomber voice? Is it Brendan Fraser voice? No, is it's it not Matt Bomber. Well, it's not. It's not. It's. I think it might be Matt Bomber. No, I don't think it is Matt Bomber. I know it's definitely not Matt Zuck. Um, Brendan Fraser might be there, but Jane wasn't. Rita was there, um, but like I said, the Larry was completely different. He was a, a bigger. So man. they were probably going under like the 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 original. And the chief wasn't the chief. The chief wasn't Timothy Dalton. It was some other actor. Yeah, so there you go. That's two different. That's two different Doom Patrols in my eyes. Um, how do you think this all ends with? With uh... well, Candlemaker definitely dies, but I'm hoping that they find a way to separate both beings of Dorothy and like I hope like if they're going to kill off Niles Calder, at least let Dorothy survive. If they're gonna, or maybe they'll find a way to keep Niles Calder. I just want I don't want Dorothy being written off. She's too awesome of an actress and character. Yeah. Like like we said before, Abigail Shapiro killed it. Um, uh, yeah, with everything that's happening, like with all the, with all the craziness that we've seen Candlemaker do, he seemingly disabled the entire Doom Patrol. Will it be Kipling as well? Um, it's 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 crazy. It's almost like nobody could defeat um, uh, Candlemaker. It's like nobody can defeat Candlemaker. Oh no, he, he's this is definitely like. It's like this seems more it's of a like threat a, than nobody. It's like a Mister Nobody can defeat Candlemaker. Oh yeah, man! If so really I that's what I want. I want now to be like that son of a bitch. <laughs> I gotta call him because they they joined forces and they were able to defeat the D Creator. That's how they beat the D Creator. They had to join forces, um, and send you know go back in time and do that whole thing with uh Doctor Harrison and create the other cult write the thing on the dog so that's my one big prediction or my one big want i want alan tudyk back i don't know if he has to be in the whole season i don't know if he has to be the big bad but i i did miss mr nobody and that just may be a symptom of only getting nine episodes this season instead of 15 from last definitely 
you know uh it came and went and the first ep- the first three episodes dropped the same day so we technically missed two weeks of lengthening out this story um so it feels yeah, like the it, first three episodes came quick it feels like it came and went but i loved it i absolutely loved this season um I don't know if I'll say it's better than season two, but I definitely I'm I'm liking the fact that we got a lot of the the paperwork out of the way, if you will. You know, like a lot of the on the surface analysis is gone because we've done that already. So now we're just going to keep diving deeper into these characters and their traumas and how they overcome them. And we'll see what happens when season three drops. Um, There was a rumor that season three and four were going to be filmed together. And they moved, this was the first show moved to HBO Max. So they have to have some sort of uh, interest in seeing it succeed. And I hope that us covering it makes more people, I'm not saying that we're going to change the world, but the fact that maybe people who listen to this podcast will check out Doom Patrol if they haven't uh, and get in on this review. I love the show. Check it out. I'm going to keep, you know, spitting my praises over it. Uh, but I think we're about done with the recap and review for season two of Doom Patrol. But I said, go back, go to our season one of Doom Patrol, uh, go to our Umbrella Academy season two and season one. Um, or you can even read articles on the Umbrella Academy. You can do all that by going to comicbookclick.com. Uh, that's where you can find every single episode of the Major Issues podcast. We have major articles there. You can meet the click. You can buy merchandise. That's the one stop for all of it, comicbookclick.com. Aside from there, you can subscribe to the Major Issues podcast wherever podcasts are found. Podbean, uh, Stitcher, The Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, TuneFind, iHeart, Spotify. We're everywhere podcasts are found. The quickest way to everywhere. find us everywhere and the quickest way to find us is to go uh to google and type in major issues podcast if that's if you can't find us anywhere else for whatever reason and we'll be the first one to pop up because we're we always a talking website, so there truly is no excuse to find that's us. what i'm saying i'm saying the easiest way dan is comicbookclick.com you go there it's Definitely. everything everything is right there every one-stop episode shop for your comic book drop you that's know. it everything our clothes our our articles our podcast ourselves ourselves our blogs our art like i said your article uh the way to reach us is all on comicbookclick.com you can comment on any single podcast and we'll get the message right here um so that has been tremendous and we're going to keep on providing content there especially in these uncertain times so make sure that you're liking sharing subscribing telling a friend to tell a friend uh and just making this the greatest thing that can come to comic books and comic book media because i've been to the future can't tell you how it happens, but we do become the latest and greatest to come to comic books and comic book media, but I can't tell you how. Get on the bandwagon before it becomes too full and you have to sit on top. No one wants to sit on top of the car. And um, join us next week where we will be tackling a Thanos story called Ooh. Thanos Wins. After Uh-oh. some time after some time with some Dark Horse and some... Uh, DC. We're going to pop over to uh, the Thanos side of things. And then it's a coin flip after that, Dan, because on the schedule, we are apt to uh, review New Mutants. And seemingly, New Mutants is still going to come out. So in two weeks, if New Mutants still comes out, we'll see if we can cover it. If not, we will be bringing back a special segment only available on Major Issues Podcast. And I think you guys know which one I'm talking about. But make sure that you're here this week, next week, and every other week. Thank you for listening to this and getting this far. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Um, oh, but like I said, 
with all that we do here for you guys, free of charge, if you could do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't like. Um, the the five star, you know, the higher the review, the better. Be honest. Um, and that's how we grow because people get recommendations based on the reviews. And so there could be a, pom- a comic book fan or Doom Patrol fan, a diehard Doom Patrol fan. We was talking about not enough people talking about this. So if you want... Uh, to connect with other fans who dig this kind of stuff, tell them about the Major Issues podcast, and let's start the conversation as we're the only ones who know how to. But my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I'm Dan, the comic book man. And this has been our Doom Patrol Season 2 review. And remember, whether you're a man who's looking for immortality, a brave beekeeper with a heart of gold, whether you're wrapped in physical or emotional bandages, or you live in a world of pure imagination, Remember, you are the click, and remember, you, yes you, are worthy.